Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Thursday night, January 20th, 2022. Uh, you might be listening to this on Friday, January 21st, 2022. Regardless, my name is Jake Luke. Uh, I'm joined on my screen by Spencer Nathaniel Schultz, sporting a fresh haircut, nice little shacket. Uh, just looks like a, a cozy situation over there. Quite cozy. Uh, I think I've been wearing this one. Every other day, a uh, nice little Christmas gift, a little, little flannel shacket situation, a little huckberry.com, highly recommend. Uh, have a little, have a, been getting a lot of clothes on there. Probably, probably might have, might have spent a little bit too much money on there through the holiday season. Definitely recommend. I'm comfy, I'm cozy, and I'm uh, ready to get nosy into the NFL world and the Baltimore Ravens world. How are you feeling, buddy? I'm feeling good. That's a major, uh, that's a major comes across the TL. Like every other post is the, the Huckberry stuff. I've always been very intrigued. I have not, not dabbled yet, but, uh, yeah, I'm doing well myself. Actually, I uh, got some, got some irons in the fire as far as, uh, certain things are concerned that we've been talking about, which are, uh, which are, you know, things are going pretty well. And, uh, we're very happy. We're very, you know, it, things, things are really starting to mellow out after what was a, uh, a difficult football season, which is a, a little bit of a ridiculous thing to complain about. I understand, but, uh, it was definitely draining on me, and I feel like I'm decompressing from that quicker than I certainly was at this time last year or the year before. So it's been uh, it's been a nice couple of weeks in the meantime. Nice, nice little sad boy season into the depths of winter. The sun's starting to elongate into the evening again, post 5 p.m. We've made it to the other side, the growth into that eternal spring and summer, hopefully where the Baltimore Ravens do cool stuff. We do cool stuff. You do cool stuff and have fun in the sun, baby. The boys are pale, but we're never going to fail. Yeah, we aren't. And uh, it certainly is. The days are getting longer. I mean, I was driving home today. It was like 540 and the sun was still out. I was like, man, this is, uh, this is as uh, McConaughey would say, this is living. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, we're getting there. I mean, we're almost a freaking February at this point. It's January 20th, 2022, which, you know, tying it back into football, always funny when, Right around this time, the NFL accounts start tweeting out like, oh, this time on this day, eight years ago, the Seahawks 
uh, beat the 49ers to go to the Super Bowl. It's like, cool. Well, the divisional round is still like four days away. So what are we doing here? Is the pig getting fat? Is the hog going to get slaughtered? Uh, who knows? And a friend of the show, RDT, yes, you can say whatever the hell you want. Uh, so, yeah, let's let's try to keep it related to the podcast, though. Um, I'm not sure if you get that reference or not, but he and I were going back and forth. Little, uh, little I think you should leave talk. So, I think you should leave is out of this world. Um, yeah. I'm involved. RDT, always, always ready to clown. Down to clown, baby. Love it. But, I don't even yeah. want to be around anymore. No toxicity 2022, baby. We're we're alive. We're thriving. Love it. Yeah. Love so, it. Yeah, we're 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 up and running. We're thriving. We're surviving and we're thriving. Um, but I yeah, I don't know. Like it's interesting being in this spot because the Ravens have been in the playoffs for the last three years. We're not used to this. Uh frankly, we're we're used to them not being in the divisional round necessarily. Um, but <laughs> yeah, if you're listening to this, I, I apologize, but our friend here is having some, uh, having some real fun with the, uh, with the ghost tour sketch references, which is really going to throw me off tonight, but that's okay because this is the adult podcast and we can say whatever the hell we want. So yeah, it's definitely weird. Um, going to the, into the divisional round with no skin in the game. Are you, do you have any rooting interest as of this point? I'm kind of, I'm liking the Niners a little bit, uh, as far as rooting interest. I, speaking of, uh, Mr. Eric in the comments here, I'm kind of pulling for the Titans big time, which I wouldn't be expecting here coming up against the Bengals. Uh, but I, I just need the, I need the Bengals to take a little bit of a dirt nap and let's have everyone just shut up about them for the time being. Bengals, you know, played in that tough game. Uh, I would, I would love to see the Titans deliver the old shit pumping right there. That would be outstanding to me. Um, I wish I had, I wish I had my Rob Lowe picture ready. I'm just, I just want some good football, baby. I'm excited. It's nice having a little break here. You know, the Ravens clown themselves out and now we're able to, to sit back and relax. I want to see this Bills Chiefs game go absolutely, you know, nuclear. I would really, I want to see like a defensive struggle or offensive struggle, you know, defensive show for the first three quarters. And I want it to be like that Super Bowl against the 49ers a couple years ago. I want to see the Chiefs and the Bills just have to slug it out. I have a little bit of a, a I, I'm starting to get a little bit of a tingling in my loins that that game is going to be a big time letdown. It's getting so hyped up and I'm very excited for it. Like I, I love both of those teams and what they bring to the table. Um, but man, something tells me it's just going to be blowout city. And I'm not even sure who it's going to be in favor of because the chiefs are not, you know, the chiefs of old. I mean, they sort of, they're, they're kind of starting to look like that a little bit, but um, yeah, I, it's, could go either way, man. The the Bills are an absolute wagon, as we've seen uh, through the last couple of weeks. And in the playoffs, they've really kind of exercised their their Patriots demons. They did so in a big way on Wild Card Weekend. So yeah, excited for that. But I I just I have a uh, as Hunter S. Thompson would say, I have a great fear of falling with that game. It just feels like uh, a letdown is imminent. But who knows? It, it's a really good slate. Divisional round weekend is, in my opinion, the best football weekend on the on the calendar. I, I can't disagree there. The Rams Packers, I feel like is going to be, or no, excuse me. It's Rams bucks, uh, Packers, 49ers, NFC, two loaded matchups Bucks week right now, injured a little bit. We'll see what happens along their offensive line. Packers getting some heavy hitters back. Titans getting uh, King Henry back 49ers, you know, Jimmy G, can he get it done when he needs to? It feels like that game is going to go to a crux where Jimmy G has to be good and find a way to win. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, you know, coming off a bye. 
They're healthy as ever, getting guys back. And it's going to be, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to figure out a way to, to get spread the ball out. 49ers defense has been awesome, but Aaron Rodgers has been even better. So uh, those games to me are very exciting. Those NFC matchups. Cooper Cup has gone the absolute fuck off uh, in the last couple matchups against the Buccaneers. And I think that that Rams team is is the perfect cliche, the all-time cliche, peaking at the right time. I think that Rams team has started to kind of click together, get things done, you know, wear down on the Cardinals twice in a row, um, get get some, or not twice in a row, but get stuff done uh, later in the season a little bit. I, I think Matthew Stafford's playing some really good football. And I think that he's been shit-talked. Yeah, quarterback play as a whole, really basically aside from Aaron Rodgers, has not been this super consistent high level affair. The Matthew Stafford uh, discourse is the most exhausting thing in the world to me. Like it seems like one it seems like people having two different arguments. You got people on one side that are like, "Oh my god, this guy's so fucking overrated. He sucks." Oh my god, and then the other side it's like, "Oh my god, this guy has so much talent. Like if only he'd just been unlocked at the right time." And I hope it, you know, it's like guys, he's a, a good quarterback who's a little volatile. He has some turnovers, he makes some big plays. He's good. Let's just let him be, and, you know, I, I'm happy for him that he's in a good spot now. Defense, it was, a, it was a defensive year, I'd say, a little bit more so. I think that offenses weren't having these consistent explosions. There was a couple supernova moments throughout the year, but ultimately I think that the the too high world has started to shift back and, and limit some of these explosive passing offenses, and Stafford still makes really special plays. Uh, last week we saw that, that no-look freaking like looked off the safety until the absolute last second lay up 45 yards downfield hits van jefferson right in stride uh, a little bit of a back-breaking play and like you said mega talent some turnovers there you know it's there but every quarterback i mean joe burrow stafford josh all those guys were in the top six of picks thrown this year uh there's volatility and turnovers overall but the rams just have a nice balanced little machine right now feels like the run game has been prospering uh a good bit Cam Akers not looking like exactly his old self, but making guys miss. Sony Michelle has been able to get get things done on the ground for them. Their offensive line is, you know, a serviceable unit, not great. Uh, as Jake almost shatters his entire setup. So there goes my ring light. Uh oh. Continue. Roll. But the Rams are, you know, a, a solid squad. So I think these are all intriguing matchups. The 49ers' physicality jumps off the page. I would say of the. Of the eight teams in the playoffs, I would say the Titans and the 49ers might be the two most physical squads on both sides of the ball in terms of imposing their will. I mean, the Bucks defense hits. Um, so I, I think there's going to be some really physical, big-time hitting matchups. The Rams absolutely dominated the Cardinals at the point of attack on both sides of the ball. In the open field, they were ridiculous. They broke tackles offensively. They forced you know uh, ball carriers to have to break through swarms of guys and hit up and down the sideline. So I, I think that the teams that are remaining, none of them are going to blink. Uh, to quote Mike Tomlin, you know, nobody's going to have to cut their eyelids off. I think these teams are all ready to hit, man. I think we're going to see a really physical brand of football. Um, the Packers defense is a little bit of a question mark to me and what they're going to be able to do. Uh, defense that was, you know, without Jair Alexander, without Zadaria Smith, missing some key guys. Devondre Campbell stepped up for them. You know, their safeties have been really great and Savage and Amos, but... Uh, lacking a little bit. So I, I think physicality is going to be the name of the game. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers is able to get it done against maybe a more physical 49ers team. But that Rams-Bucks game is, to me, a really intriguing matchup. And the Titans-Bengals, man. I mean, the Bengals are flashier, but the Titans hit. The Titans are physical. They are physically dominant defensively. They're able to get home with four. Jeffrey Simmons and Butler in the interior there are two-man wrecking crew. 
uh, Landry on the outside. You know, they, they've been able to make haste all year defensively and limit some really good teams. So I'm excited to see that matchup as well. So I think that this is going to be, like you said, this is the most fun. This is this is when you have all competent teams remaining. You know, the 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 blinkers are weeded out in the first round. The you know the Raiders not quite up to snuff, you know, didn't quite have a, a capacity to put together a complete game against a good team. The Cardinals did nothing but blink. You know, they they were Sandra Bullock in whatever the hell that movie on Netflix is called, just blindfolded basically the entire game. So uh, a lot of those Bird teams box. weeded out, the Steelers weeded out, and now we've got the, the class of the NFL. We've got the good teams left. Yeah, and I think um, as much as Wild Card Weekend was maybe a little bit of a letdown in that regard, I think this sets up really well for the opposite to be the case this weekend. So... Hopefully it is. I mean, other than uh, other than whatever the hell Mike McCarthy and Dak and uh, Kellen Moore were doing at the end of that uh, San Francisco uh, loss, which was a pretty good game overall. Um, the, man, maybe one of the worst wild card weekends I can remember. Um, but you know, it happens. I think there were a lot of takes going around, and we talked about this a little bit uh, offline about that seventh team and like sort of watering down the product. I don't really agree with that necessarily. I think we're going to need a bigger sample size. I think we just got uh, a little unlucky with some of the wild cards this year. And, uh, you know, just a little unlucky as far as just games being shitty. Sometimes games that shouldn't be competitive really are, but I think things just kind of were a little pretty straightforward. They were a little stock as our friend Lars would say. Yeah, I think that I think it's a little overrated. Everybody was complaining last week, you know, the Cardinals game was a bit of a stinker, but there was like, uh, beauty in the fact that the Cardinals shit the bed so badly. That was the narrative. That was, you know, the taking point. How They just continued to stink and stink and stink. Of course, you want to watch a close, exciting finish or whatever, but that Bengals-Raiders game, awesome. The Cowboys-49ers game, awesome. The Steelers come out, score a defensive touchdown to open the game, you know, uh, hung in there a little bit. Then the Chiefs just continue to absolutely bludgeon them after that. So I, I had fun watching football last weekend. The, the Cowboys game to me, like, the Cowboys didn't blow the game at the end. You know, they didn't do themselves any favors, but they lost that game there. They, they cost themselves the opportunity to have a miracle happen. And again, you know, banking on a miracle to happen and getting upset when it doesn't happen is, is not a good idea. Not any fun at all whatsoever. So uh, they committed too many penalties. The defensive holdings on run plays and shit was out of this world. They were undisciplined. Uh, Mike McCarthy said he could tell from prayer time pregame that it was uh, not going to go well in a very righteous gemstone way. Uh, the, you know, the, the prayer circle pregame was off. So that's, that's when he knew, that's when he knew things were awry. Yeah. It, there's definitely some righteous gemstone vibes going on around uh, our friends in big D there, uh, you know, from, from ownership on down to uh, Mike and uh, his, 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 you know, beautiful boy, uh, Kellen. Uh, what, what, I mean, what a absolute traveling Gideon. circus. Um, incredible stuff, but yeah, it's, it's too bad Kellen, that they, Kellen Gideon Moore. Yeah, exactly. It's too bad that they crash out like every literally every time they make the playoffs. You know how they make the playoffs every other year. It's like they have this great team. It's like, man, this is going to be funny when they collapse. But it, it just it happens too early. Like I want to see them get to get to the championship game. Maybe let's let's get them to a Super Bowl for the first time in thirty years. Like, come on, what are we we're, doing? We're we're big D supporters here. We are Paul. We are uh, we love Dallas. We love the Jerry Jones isms and schisms and everything in between. So. I think that the beauty of it is that they can't win a game. I think that that's the beauty. What does he say? It's uh, I, I've seen many glory hole in my days, and it's been a lot less glory hole lately. Something something to that uh, interesting effect, uh, which of course, referring to his time as a landman in the oil industry, nothing else that he might have uh, might have engaged in or partook in uh, in his off time as a rich uh, white billionaire. 
certainly nothing after a couple bottles uh, Johnny Walker Bluer had in the traveling uh, the traveling bus there. Definitely has not had anything. Oh, yeah. Like this that. was a uh, shout out to Deuce uh, for bringing this great point up. The uh, stadium being built east to west, apparently because Jerry's wife uh, liked the way that it worked for photography and artwork. Uh, you know, that's the thing. And that's funny, actually, because I when we had Sean Hubbard on the show, I talked to him about that, like that specific stadium. I was like, is it like kind of crazy getting in there and getting that mega light going? He's like, yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. But like, I don't know how they play like that, frankly, when they get into that time slot and Cedric Wilson just gets absolutely just a bus driven over him by that light. Nice. And yeah, just completely clanks a, a crucial third down off his hands. And uh, some of the Dallas people I know, like Dave Ruff, we've had on the show. I was listening to his show and he was like, dude, this is like it's fucking ridiculous. It's just like another one of those things with this franchise that like only only with only in Dallas, only with the Joneses. It's just it's great. The show is more important than the dubs. And, Literally. Uh, and it was, it's also for like advertising apparently so that they can get better light on their like brand advertising and stuff like in certain spots in the stadium is part of why they did it. So profits, do they come above winning? Stonks up, W's down, baby. That's the, the Dallas way. I guess Troy so. Aikman ripping into them afterwards and, and makes a great point about big braining yourself pretty much just not playing into the fact that, Oh, Make, let's make a quick adjustment. Oh, C.D. Lamb's getting crazy off coverage. Why don't we have him run a vertical tree and, and flip him the ball, isolate him, and you know just simplify things a little bit. And that's what teams get away from. We've seen the Ravens do that definitely to a degree. Um, quarterback sneaks against the Titans when they weren't running those, you know, uh, getting away from the QB power, doing some, some weird stuff, and big branding yourself. So in the playoffs, keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple, stud. Kiss it, baby. And I think that that's why the, the Packers are such a grandiose, beautiful offense right now. It feels like they do keep it simple. They do get the ball in the hands of their playmakers and they uh, isolate guys. They're, they're good in the run game. And um, I, I really want to see this Packers team. I, I, I get good vibes from the Packers and I would like to see this team roll over the, the fighting Jimmy G's so that we can watch the 49ers fans absolutely melt down. The, the discourse around when Jimmy G is the winning quarterback of a playoff team is just I would pay I would pay fifty dollars plus a month for Twitter. Shout out Shut to our guy Stats, who is maybe the biggest Jimmy Garoppolo hater in the entire world. It's always a, always a joy watching uh, 49ers games unfold with him. He uh, he is very in favor of Trey Lance, and uh, I, I got it at a certain point in time of the year. But it's like they turn that thing around pretty well, and they're they're looking pretty good with uh, with old Vinny Chase slash Jimmy G there at QB. Vinny G, baby, and the interesting part to me, I think, is that. We hear Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Eli Manning between the Manning cast, Drew Brees calling a game last week. And these Hall of Fame legendary, you know, Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, even when they have Tom Brady, they don't shut up about the run and what to check into at what point in time and how much of Trey Lance's youth contributing to, to Jimmy G's probable prosperity being behind Tom Brady and Josh McDaniel's system where checking into runs is very much prevalent and very much a key to winning and and how pivotal that run game is to Kyle Shanahan and his constitution. I mean, Brandon Ayuk, everyone wants to rip on John Harbaugh for, you know, Tyson Williams not playing due to special teams. Or whatever. Brandon Ayuk, their first round pick last year, who had like 800 yards and six touchdowns last year, 
was in the doghouse because he wasn't put pummeling dudes in the run game. Yeah, look and at that video of, of Mike McDaniel at that coaching conference talking about, like, you get what you emphasize, and if you're not going to block in the run game, if you're not going to block safeties with proper technique, like, we don't give a shit, and you're not going to, you know, get run on offense. Like, I love that. And if we're spending time on it, it's important, and the only way that it's important and gets executed is if we're spending time on it. So what is important? Probably Jimmy G's ability to make calls at the line, check, you know, kill plays, checking to the right side, you know, running to the left versus running to the right, running strong versus running weak. Um, you know, all those kinds of things are probably very important in Kyle Shanahan's mind. And so John Harbaugh gets absolutely ripped on for it. Uh, Shanahan gets absolutely ripped on for it. But at the same time, it feels like Shanahan is, you know, the, the Azora's eye, the prince, the young prince leading the, the rock star revolution of the run game in San Francisco. And it's worked. What Debo Samuel's doing is amazing. Eli Mitchell, they got a guy running 4-3 that just hits the hole. Uh, you know, no cutback about him. Just patience and speed and acceleration there. So their group of playmakers is really fun. Their defense hits, like I mentioned. And I think that matchup is just going to be a lot of fun. The wit, the intelligence, the precision of Aaron Rodgers uh, against, you know, that, that imposing run game and the creativity that they have off of the, marrying the run in the past, play action, boot, all that stuff is going to be a really fun match with me. And the X factor is that it's in the fucking frozen tundra of green Bay. I haven't looked at the they, weather. For they that always, game. they always have bangers too. You had the Kaepernick uh, game in candlestick um, with where he was ripping off the long runs. Then I think the very next year they were in, uh, in Lambeau with Rogers had the collarbone and they were like eight, seven and one. And that was still a really good game. So that's, it's exciting. They had the NFC championship game a couple years ago, not as good of a game, but if you had to guess what, how many degrees it was in green Bay, Wisconsin right now, what would you say? Seven. It is one degree. One degree. One degree Fahrenheit right that's now. Just, that's so just Sunday, too cold, man. That's just going to be a low cold. of two. You got you got to move away from there. What are we doing? It's it's just too cold. It's too cold. It's too cold. Well, they uh, they were born in it. They were raised in it, and heard some good quotes lately from uh, Lee Smith, the longtime Bills run blocking tight end, now down in Atlanta, saying you never get used to it, but you adapt quicker the longer you're involved there. And, and Aaron Rodgers still able to rip in those conditions. That's that's the beauty of that boy. That's why they love him. So it's going to be freezing for uh, the NorCal kids. And, you know, it's not like NorCal is some hot, sweaty paradise in terms of weather necessarily, but certainly ain't the frozen tundra of Green Bay. It's going to be minus nine tonight. It'll be a low of two on Sunday, according to the old weather.com. Uh, wind, pretty calm. So it's just going to be that stagnant, dry, cold. And I believe that game kicks off at three thirty. So sure. it, it's going to be a it's going to be a frigid one there. Eight fifteen, pardon me, Saturday night. So it's it's going to be one metric ton of a shit show. Minus one on Saturday night. Woo! I'm excited for that one. I'm I'm going. I'm putting some money on the pack there, but uh, ultimately, I'm I'm pumped up for that game. Most I think. I might have to head back down to that sports book. I was there with the uh, with the boys a couple weeks ago. We were watching week uh, week eighteen in there in uh, Maryland Live. So got to get back down there and maybe get some action going. It's tough though. It's really crowded in there. It is an absolute madhouse in there most of the time. It's a scene, man. It is. So with that, you know, divisional round, we're excited, and I guess we can get into this mailbag, this kind of postseason divisional round mailbag, and cut it up and dive into some listener questions, have a little discourse, have a little little silly time, and get ourselves out of here. 100%. So I guess I can start uh, with the Twitter questions. Let me pull it up here. And I will try to be judicious. Um, of course. I meant, I meant to go through them earlier, but I just I didn't find the time. I was 
kind of scrambling around. Uh, first one comes from Aiden Lake. How does George Karlaftis fit in the Ravens defense? Yes, he's projected to be top 12 right now, but I don't believe he will go that high. I think 14 is a realistic possibility, and I like his potential rushing for both the two-point and the three-point stances. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out ahead of this right now. I've really only watched offensive line so far. So there's there's a couple corner questions. You got some uh, defensive line. I've watched a little bit of those guys just through osmosis. But uh, what do you think of this guy, this gentleman? Yeah, I think he figures out ways to win. Um, he, I think he had the second highest pass rush win rate in the Big Ten, wedged right between our boy Aiden Hutchinson and our other boy Arnold Ebiketti, who's a Penn State Temple tough transfer. Who uh, you know definitely is also another guy to look for in terms of the Ravens needing to fill out that that edge department a little bit. But he has excellent hands, natural feel, the efforts there. Um, you know, he's, he's got enough athleticism. It feels like we'll see how he tests. Uh, we'll see the, the measurements there and all that good stuff, but he, uh, absolutely abused Iowa and he just has that nice feel for the three-way go and angling body positioning, cheating himself a little bit. Snap anticipation is a big part of his game. Um, I think, you know, if Karloftis is there, I, I think that might be a BPA and the Ravens with Tybo going out and, and the Achilles, which hopefully is, uh, I did a good bit of reading on, on Cam Akers situation and how, They've kind of changed the procedure for the Achilles and made it less invasive and added something called a bridge to it. Uh, I could get into discourse on that maybe another time. But, um, you know, the Ravens are in a spot where, you know, him, Trayvon Walker, maybe. Karloft is probably more polished right now. Um, yeah, you know, he's getting the comps. He's he's a little bit more low on the melanin. So we're going to go with the Ryan Kerrigan comp, it feels like, from the mock Twitter world. Um, I think that he does a good job. It kind of reminds me of, a little quicker, you know, uh, AJ Epinesa a little bit. Uh, the the Samoan boy, the Polynesian boy who's up in Buffalo. I think he's got a little bit more twitchiness to him, a little bit more ability to bend. Um, really aggressive, really precise. Wins at the point of attack with his hand usage. He loves the swipes. Uh, I think he does a good job angling, like I said. So Karloftis still need to dig a little bit deeper into his tape, see how he is a run defender, but fits the profile more of a rush, obviously, than a Sam. Uh, so I think you would have probably two pretty sturdy run defenders between Odafe Owe and Karloftis. We got Tybo hopefully coming back. That makes it so that you don't need to rush him along at all. And, uh, you know, a, a rookie there, you know, maybe doesn't pan out that well, but somebody, there's going to be an able, fresh body there that you're going to want to put on the field. So if Bowser takes a little bit longer, interesting. And, yeah, I mean, between these edges, you know, Thibodeau, Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker getting a lot of buzz. See Mike Renner and Dane Brugler both mock him to the Ravens. Karloftis is a guy that, uh, you know, could slide a little bit. I, I think that wouldn't be crazy if there's one, maybe two quarterbacks taken, you know, two, maybe three corners taken. Um, all of a sudden, Carl Loftus is there. So uh, I don't think that's a crazy, crazy weird situation. David Ajabo, another guy that uh, is going to get linked to the Ravens quite a bit. So uh, I'm, I'm not done with Carl Loftus. Definitely like the the polish there at this point. I think he's very pro ready. Got to got to dig into it a little bit. We'll see what those numbers look like at the combine. There's some thresholds that. Uh, you know, tend to lend themselves. He's got tons of production. So if he's got great tape, great measurables, great athleticism, then why not make him the pick at 14? That's a BPA. 100%. Uh, Cyberbullying NFT collectors is fun and cool. And I think this is Ben Rose. He changes his display name like once every, you know, two weeks to something uh, interesting. Um, is Travis Jones from UConn a realistic possibility in round two? Uh, and then he says Booth, McDuffie, or Sauce. So you got, a, I think, a defensive line question there and then a corner preference. 
Um, yeah, Travis Jones has probably the most juice as a uh, pass rusher of anyone in the interior. He, you know, is at UConn playing a little lower level football, but beating the crap out of guys. They played against Clemson, and he's got that pass rush upside. You know, you see a little maybe a little Christian Barmore to his game. Um, I think you can move him around, but he's got the size. He's got the uh, athleticism. He he stays very square in the run game. And uh, Jones, you know, not crazy to see him maybe in the first round. Not crazy to see him high in the second round, top 40, top 50, especially in a thin uh, interior defensive line class. I think that he might be the most polished pass rusher aside from maybe Devontae Wyatt. But he's uh, that, that one technique, that nose tackle that really can just toss guys, beat guys with a little bit of quickness and power. So I think that in the second round, Travis Jones, might be a, a definite steal there. And what was the second part? Uh, cornerbacks between Sauce, Booth, and who's uh, the third? OJ McDuffie. Uh, McDuffie, I have not gotten to yet. Sauce Gardner, I've only watched one game of 2021. I think I've watched like three of 2020 and, and two of 2019. Um, Sauce is a tough evaluation for me. And I would say the things that stand out the most to me are his not physicality necessarily, but I'm sorry, I call him OJ McDuffie. That's the former running back. Was he? Yeah. Trent, Trent McDuffie is you're talking about. Um, but yeah, sauce, tons of length, very wiry, uh, to, to quote the replacements, but (sighs) I was expecting him to be this like hitter and, um, a little bit more proactively, you know, fluid in his back pedal. Initially he, it's a it's a tough evaluation for me because he it feels like he really wants to bait a lot of throws and he does a good job in zone of being able to do that you know under underneath zones when he's kind of a lot of too high at Cincinnati um, so being able to kind of bait those level two throws those honey hole throws has prolific length has really great urgency and is able to get to the catch point a lot of the time um, so I, I think those are the things that stand out the most I think you can absolutely take him in man coverage underneath right now. High level, you know, NFL receivers. I think there's a lot of growth needed there in terms of uh, his balance, in terms of his footwork, in terms of uh, be, you know, a little, a little bit more patience in terms of when to open his hips uh, and, and some underneath stuff. But uh, the the recovery is unbelievable. But my question, as of now, not having enough tape, is is that recovery going to be able to translate quickly to the NFL, or is it going to be you know bigger, stronger, faster, better, smarter receivers at the National Football League level? that are able to take advantage of him. I went and watched the Alabama game. That's the only game of 2021 I've seen for him. I think there was a narrative that he shut down Jamison Williams. Not a lot of reps were on Jamison Williams. Uh, I want to say maybe 25% of them were. Williams was moved around. He was in the slot. He was in the Z. You know, uh, It feels like they kept him away from Sauce maybe a little bit. Uh, but but weren't a ton of reps. There. He had a nice tackle for loss in the backfield. Um, he's very handsy, very grabby. I think that's a good thing. Will incur some penalties. But I think that's a good thing. He's disruptive at the stem. He, he wants to, to irritate you at the stem and, and prevent you from fluidly moving. So I, I love that aggression there. Uh, McDuffie, like I said, I haven't watched. But Booth, to me, is, is borderline prototype. Uh, maybe not quite the tallest guy in the world. Maybe a hair shorter, like literally like a, a, a hair a head of hair shorter than Marlon Humphrey just about. But his balance, his feet, his ability to recover, the patience that he has to open his hips as a result of how much kind of core strength balance and, and how precise his footwork is, is crazy. Double moves, he will do a wide step, but will keep his hips square. So when someone crosses face on a double move, his hips haven't opened yet, and he can just flip them, man. Um, hitter, super aggressive, super physical, misses some tackles here and there as a result, 
but but wants to blow it up. He blows up blockers. He, he he's a very very physical tackler. Ball skills insane. Levitates in the air. Prolific catch like highlight reel web gem top ten catches. Um, hands you know he's a five star. He was all ACC uh, academic. Apparently high 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 work ethic. High caliber person. High character. Uh, the Ravens aren't a huge Clemson school necessarily, but uh, I see a lot of similarities to Marlon Humphrey there. Uh, maybe not quite as physically strong, but much better ball skills. Um, so I think he would be excellent. I think that there's some slot ability there. I think that if you bring in Booth, that you have if you if the situation pans out that you have Peters, you have Humphrey, and you have uh, Booth, you know you can mix in Humphrey playing some slot where he's actually been playing better in the slot, I would say, uh, to some degree than, than outside, uh, the last couple of years, he's been really good in the slot. And there's that like, Oh, slot, slot corners aren't worth as much. You got a hundred million dollars slot corner. Sure. But if you got two other guys, I mean, put the three best out there. Humphrey's the best in the slot there. The physicality, the ability to play in the run, to fit in the run and be a, be that star type Jalen Ramsey player. Look what the Rams are doing and they're getting all this credit for it. So, uh, I think there's some, some real possibility there. And then Peters, you know, who knows what happens with his ACL. Uh, but uh, Booth, to me, of those guys is number one. Stingley has some really rare traits in his backpedal and, and how clean it is and uh, the angles that he takes. But Booth, to me, uh, I haven't gotten into a ton of Stingley tape yet. There's not a ton from this past year. Uh, he's had some injury problems, which is you know always going to raise the questions that we're never going to be able to answer as non-medical people. But Boothman might be my number one corner in this draft. And I, I would be remiss to think that he, there's uh, not a strong possibility that he's taken in the top 10 or, or before 14. So uh, Booth to me is that dude. And I still need to watch McDuffie and some others for sure. But uh, Kyrie Elam, I still need to watch. I've watched McCreary. I'm not quite as high on him. Uh, but uh, yeah, Booth to me is that guy. Yeah, Stingley is the one that I, I've dove deep into. I think he might be gone before they pick. Uh, I, I just think total dog tendencies. But yeah, the lack of tape is going to be, it's going to be tough to overcome. But uh, I don't know. It could be similar to a Jamar Chase situation. So who knows? Uh, Poppin' Perks. Should the Ravens go all in on building a bully of an O-line to attempt to get back to 2019-20 season run dominance or continue making passing improvements the focal point? So I think this question is, no offense, Poppin' Perks, but I think the question, the premise is maybe a little bit flawed because I think the passing improvements are kind of, as we've been hinting at, or not even really hinting at, as we've been, I think, driving home, I think they're already there. Like, you know, you go all in on fixing this wide receiving core, you do have to fix the offensive line and get better in pass pro and uh, get yourself to a place where Lamar is more protected and able, able to make these throws to this improved receiving core. But like, I think it's there and I would prefer them going as I've hinted at um, heading into this offseason. I prefer them go all in on O line. I think it's a, uh, it's time to get your guy um, all the protection that he needs, whether he gets paid this offseason or next or whatever the plan is, you got to set him up for success. And that starts with uh, building the wall up front as we've hinted at. Yeah, I think that's the consensus. I think that's what they're going to do. You look at what the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes, uh, where where they fell short, and and where the Ravens have fallen short. I mean, the the Chiefs have a better you know system in place. Andy Reid, a top three offensive mind in the world, probably. So you know, of course, you know, hate Greg Roman all you want, but Andy Reid is the best of the best. So uh, it's not going to get better than Andy Reid. And for them to to go and go out and trade for Orlando Brown, invest, you know, pay record-setting money to Joe Tooney, to draft Creed Humphrey, who 
we've got a Linderbaum comment. I don't, we'll get into that, but, but to go get, you know, the best center that I've seen in the last couple of years and many people have uh, Trey Smith, you know, uh, it's just the sidebar, the chiefs, of course, you know, Trey Smith didn't have a good senior bowl medical problems. And of course, best rookie guard in the NFL, sixth round pick, I believe knocked it out of the park. So, there's a little bit of fucking luck involved there. You can you can say that you were really high on Tom Brady all you want, but every team passed on him all the way through. The medical, you know, uh, the medical reasons were huge, but he really struggled at the Senior Bowl a lot, at tackle and at guard a lot. Um, really, really struggled in his pass sets. So they got him right, knocked it out of the park. Their right tackle situation now is fluid, and uh, they'll probably be able to bring someone else in if they want to. Uh, but uh, you know, look at what they did. This tackle class is thick, deep loaded left tackles, right tackles, all of it, you know, uh, vanilla, chocolate, uh, ice cream, you know, sundaes, bananas, cherries on top, bells, whistles, bicycles, wow. all of it, man. This tackle class is the deepest, uh, in my opinion, in the, in the early watches I've done. I've, I've focused a lot there very much so, and looks like it's the best class in quite some time between, you know, the depth there as well. There's the guys at the top. Maybe the Ravens can't sniff a Neil or a Cross or an Aquanu. Maybe one of those guys falls, but... After that, you know, Penning, um, Philele, you know, Kennard, all these dudes, the the dude, uh, Kellen Dursch out of uh, Arizona State, which sounds like a made-up name in a sketch comedy about a fraternity, but a Deesh, I think it is, Kellen Deesh. And uh, he, he's very clean. Watch, watch the game of his. Very clean, precise. Probably going to be a second or third round guy in this class. So uh, the opportunity, the supply, the demand, the need are all meeting right now. And the Ravens are, are going to have to dip there. I think you need a veteran, sure. I think Villanueva is gone. James, to me, is just a lottery ticket that you can cut and save $3 million, which is probably more appealing if he's not looking, you know, serviceable there. Um, then, of course, there is the question at center of Bradley Bozeman. And at this point, they signed McCary. They don't reach an extension with Bozeman. We're hearing whispers that he wants, you know, guard money instead of center money and this, that, and the other. And, you know, you'd love to have maybe extended him early and moved him to center like last year. Apparently, he was asking for a lot last year already. So, that complicates things and, and leads you to you know, look at Linderbaum. There's a couple other centers, Donovan West out of Arizona State as well, some other guys, whatever. But um, it, no more excuses with the offensive line. It's been years. It's been, you know, two years straight of not establishing an offensive line that you can rely on. And we see, we've watched back-to-back seasons. Lamar have really high moments as a passer early in the season. The offensive line crumbles. And then you watch him drop his eyes, lose his feel, lose his reads, get bad and miss, miss opportunities, make mistakes. As a result, the pressure is getting to him and it's time, man. It, it's time to, to, to dedicate your resources to that. Defensively, you can probably find some good value free agents, throw a rookie or two there that maybe can come play. Um, the, the scheme, whatever you want to call it, feels like the... The Joe, the Jims and the Joes versus the X's and the O's. The Ravens defense, to me, what we what they did in the second half was very impressive. Aside from you know, save one Bengals game, um, with a really limited roster. So at this point, build up that damn offensive line, find some cheapish veterans to plug into the defense. Make sure you can do whatever you can. Do a Ted Lasso freaking voodoo curse at M&T Bank Stadium of just the DBs in the corners. Hopefully, you can get some better injury luck there. And uh, and rock and roll, you need to build a high-powered offense at this point and see what you can do with a complete offense to get a true, tried, and honest evaluation of a guy that you want to pay in Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. And, um, yeah, it's all, it's all about setting him up for success. 
I mean, that's, that's, you're talking about your future right there and you want to be feeling a hundred percent good about it. And I, I pretty much already do feel good about giving him all that money. But even if you do, like, even if he, the plan is to lock him up for the long term, I look around the league and I see these other young quarterbacks that are set up a hundred percent for success. One of whom was in his draft class. And I see what the bills have done with Allen. And it's like, well, you know, just, you know, it's not necessarily so easy to say, Oh, do exactly what they did, but they got him Stefan Diggs shit kicking offensive line. And you know, some of these other underrated weapons, Dawson Knox, they're, they're just finding these guys that fit with him really well. And they've, they've just built the perfect system around them. So I'm not saying go out and do exactly that, but it, that's just where the league is trending these days. It's like, it's hard to win with defense. And especially when you do have a young quarterback like that, why not just build around him? You know, try it's the, it was the whole reason Steve Ashadi was ready to move on from Joe Flacco. Why not? build a fun young offensive team that's not only going to sell tickets, but is going to win football games and it's going to ha- let us have success in the 2020s. And so it's, it's worked thus far up to a point, but hit a little bit of a breaking point with the injuries this year. So set them up for success. Uh, Dan Abe's house says early predictions for the big slash semi big free agency signing. Chandler Jones is kind of one that I'm looking at a little bit. I feel like the Ravens have sniffed around Chandler Jones. That's an interesting one. You know, third, fourth contract guy. Um, feels like he's going to be able to play some some football in Baltimore that is uh, on, a, on a team that prides itself. They need leadership defensively. Uh, they need uh, that, that cultural boost, it feels like. And there might be a little lack of accountability on that side of the ball. Um, you know, it just feels like there's not that same fire that there Sack has been. In, too. I mean, like... <laughs> Like he's, he's a little, he's a little up and down. He's a little volatile, but like he, he brings it in that department. And we got another question about that coming up too. So. Certainly. And so, you know, looking at a Bobby Wagner, who is a potential cut for the Seahawks, uh, Pete Carroll saying Cody Barton and Jordan Brooks are the the guys of the future. Um, so you can have Bobby Wagner come play that kind of Josh Bynes, a little bit more Mike role and then coming off the field a bit and blitzing and uh, having that commanding presence uh, in the back end. Safety situation. I mean, Earl Thomas scorned them. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to look at at these big name free agents. Marcus Williams. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think Jesse Bates is going anywhere. Uh, the Bengals have money. You know, it feels like it, it was a kind of a let's let's get through with this season. Maybe put it on the back burner. Come together. See how you played at the end of the year. You know, franchise tag potentially in play as well. Uh, but but there's quite a few free agent safeties on the market. I, th- I think that's somewhere you certainly look. Um, those would be the the ones that I really think of, man. Offensive line wise, uh, I'm not sure entirely what's out there. Center position's a little weird, you know. Ryan Jensen, to me, Ryan Jensen's gonna. If Tom Brady's coming back, I don't think Ryan Jensen's going anywhere. Uh, feels like you know they're bonded. He's been baby, you know, just absolutely sloshing that baby powder for Tom Brady, double talent up the butt. Um, so that's that's his boy there. But uh, a couple, a couple, a couple options floating around Brian Allen of the Rams, you know, some, some other ones, some older ones. Um, so strange there, you know, tackle situation. We'll see what happens. Zeitler obviously ended up being a, a really great signing and, and per sports info solutions metrics. I was looking at last night. Uh, number one played the most snaps of any lineman in the NFL. Number two was actually Villanueva. Um, so ended up with the third highest points earned in the NFL among all linemen. And that's, that's kind of like EPA considering what everyone else did on the play and what the play was um, fifth in points above average. So how much better did he play than the median player, the the 50th percentile player fifth out of all linemen in the NFL over the cap actually also does evaluation on players yearly and assigns a, a dollar value to it. 
And they, they do that as a composite or an aggregate of PFF grades, um, snaps played, which obviously Zeitler is going to weigh heavily there considering he was number one in the NFL. And then uh, just metrics. So it's going to be like sacks, pressures, stuff like that. Uh, just, just baseline statistics that they find. You know, They basically say, you know, guys get paid a lot more who have sacks in free agency. So they're worth more in the eyes of the NFL. So Zeitler, $12 million valuation on a $4 million cap hit there. So um, you know, maybe there's a situation like that, that cut situation, a, a veteran player who's kind of been casted aside on a bad team and you're able to go snag one. But uh, the, the Ravens just need to, they can't rely on fate this year. They have to grab, grab the offensive line by the horns. Hope is not a strategy. So let's, let's get some real strategy in there. Um, kind of speaking of which Cody says, is pressure rate being overvalued by the Ravens schematically? Should there be more of an attempt to get sacks as often as possible? It's not in their DNA or what they try to do, but they were number one versus the run, and and it didn't mean shit. That's a lie that it didn't mean shit. That yeah, they I wouldn't say it didn't mean run. shit. I mean, the Rams, the Packers, they shut down. You know, they they shut down Jonathan Taylor. They won that game. They they you know I hate to be the guy that says they let up a big run again. I mean, the Vikings had every right to absolutely shit pump them. Did in the first half and buckled down, strapped down. Uh, they bottled up some really good rushing attacks. And I think that kept them in a lot of games. So I think that's bullshit. They were able to make teams one-dimensional. Teams stopped trying to run the ball. Is that maybe because their pass defense sucked? Yeah, but their red zone defense was fine. Their third down defense was fine most of the year. Um, they wore thin late. But what what I, this is what I don't the, in terms of the pressure sack. What do you? What is the plan to get more sacks? What does that mean versus pressure? The 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 thinking is that pressure is more consistent than sacks. Matt Judon had the exact same amount of pressures for the Patriots as he did for the Ravens. He was two away. He had two more in 2019. Judon had 25 quarterback hits and nine and a half sacks this year. And PFF charted him with 12 sacks. He has, I think 14 and a half is what the NFL gave him. So, you know, he had 12 quarterback hits. It's a split second. Pressure is more consistent. Brandon Staley, defensive mind, you know, didn't, didn't have the personnel this year, but got that job because of what he knows defensively. Pressure is more consistent than sacks. Pressure is more consistent than sacks. Um, there's a couple guys that have that unique ability to finish. You know, TJ Watt, a much bigger sack guy than pressure guy. Uh, it, it feels like because TJ Watt closes out really well and he wins in like the third and fourth second every time as opposed to the, you know, the, the between the first and second second. Um, so he, he's kind of a slow burner more so with higher sack production. He finishes really well. So, they just haven't had the guy. Uh, that, yeah, like schematically, finishes. they're not they're not trying to not get sacks with their scheme. They just they have not had the the alpha dog that is going to be able to finish. To your point, like you look around the league, like watching Nick Bosa against the Cowboys, like that guy can fucking get sacks. You know why? Because he's super talented, super physical. He's just an absolute beast. Like T.J. Watt, same thing. You know, some guys are like that, and maybe that'll be like an OA next year. But you lose it in Suggs, you know, after 2018, and since then it's kind of been. And you lose Jalen Ferguson Smith. here. It's been, you know, this person there. And it just, they haven't been able to hit on it. They haven't really invested in it in free agency a ton. And that's where you settle on a Justin Houston, who's great, especially for his age, but he's not going to be a guy that's going to go out there and get you 15 sacks at this point in his career. They just haven't found the alpha dog quite yet. And maybe they will at some point soon, but I don't think we need to like look at wink and say like, Oh, well, wink's got to do more. He's got to change his scheme. I don't necessarily think that's it. I think a lot of this, you know, and it's not to throw too much heat on EDC or anything, but it is kind of a little bit of a, uh, a building thing. And he hasn't 
to be fair, he probably hasn't even really had the opportunity to go get these guys because they're hard to find. Like TJ Watt falling to where he did and falling to a perfect situation for one thing, it doesn't really happen very often. So it's it's tough. It is. It certainly is. Um, there's just a lot of volatility to it, you know. And and Justin Matabika, I know we have a question that we'll get to, so we'll kind of glaze over that one. It's in the Instagram mailbag, but looks like he just lacks. He's really great against the run, generates pressure, but lacks the the feel for when to disengage and where the quarterback is and being conscientious of that. Um, but all right, just Joshua Richter in the comments here. Last time sacks were a priority for the Ravens was 2014. Think of that defense. They got Elvis Dumerville, a all-pro pass rusher who set the sack record, and Terrell Suggs paired up. I mean, that's you know a borderline Hall of Fame guy and a Hall of Fame guy in Suggs and Dumerville. So they don't have an all-pro pass rusher. Um, they don't have an all-pro pass rusher, and in their, their defensive interior, they've been working on. 2018, it was Pierce and and 2019, it was Pierce and Williams and Wormley, who are not, you know, guys that have a high pass rush win rate, not guys that convert a ton of sacks, you know, not guys that are doing a, a ton of these things. Um, and the Ravens, I mean, like, like you Elvis said, Dumer, back to like, front. so the 2014 thing, they signed Elvis Dumerville in 2013 and he had nine and a half sacks. And then he just kind of found it in 2014. And like, maybe that, maybe that was a schematic thing, but it was like him and Suggs, they were just kind of doing their thing together. And he had, you know, almost 10 more sacks the very next year. So it's like, Aaron Donald had a 10 sack season and then a 20 sack season and then a 10 sack season in a three year period. Yeah. They, they prioritized it in 2013 by signing Dumerville and it worked out to an extent. He got nine and a half sacks, which is very good. But like people look back on 2014, it's not a priority thing. It's just that Elvis Dumerville played really well and got more sacks. So like, let's, get these players kind of let's get the I right mean, they, players they do want to get free rushers they want to get dbs involved they want to get the linebackers involved they like to play games um all of these things but at the end of the day i mean the guys aren't finishing how many quarterbacks got baker mayfield is always in chaos when the ravens play him and it's hard it's harder to finish now than it was in 2014 because in 2014 you didn't have like fucking patrick mahomes and josh allen running around he had a couple guys like that maybe but like not even nearly to that level i don't think so it's it's a different league guys are more elusive they escape a lot easier and other teams definitely do get a lot of sacks so it's not 100 percent an excuse or anything it's just maybe a little bit of an explanation for why it's not as easy to, easy to predict these days yeah for some reason i mean the steelers just always are unbelievable they get 50 sacks every single season but um you know it, the difference between the number two team in the NFL in sacks per game in 2021, the Minnesota Vikings is they average three sacks a game. The Ravens average two sacks a game and we're 21st. So it, it, it's one sack a game. You know, it, it's, it, it sounds like a lot when you look at the toes, it's, it's one sack a game. Um, the Calais Campbell sack numbers went down. I mean, they, they blitz more typically quarterbacks get the ball out quicker. And that was kind of the intention is to force quarterbacks to be one read and to get the ball out because you had Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, they had Earl Thomas at the time when they were, they were aligning this defense. And then they had Chuck Clark who's a really good box safety, uh, you know, Tavon Young, a really good slot corner. So they're like, all right, we have a great five on the back end. Let's blitz. Let's invest money there and force guys to get the ball out in one read into this all pro caliber defense. And it worked really well. 2019, you know, 2018, I think they were first or second in the NFL in sacks. Everyone goes to that Titans game, but you know, they had Judon, they had Smith, they had Suggs. They ended up 26 sacks, I think, between the three of those guys. A shitload of sacks between those three. Um, so 
quarterbacks know you got to get the ball out a little quicker. And uh, they, they wanted to make him throw at those corners. And when you don't have the corners and that's your, your construction, it, it goes awry. The same way if you if you invest in a pass rusher and, you know, say there is that opportunity to trade for or go get that A-list pass rusher, like a Joey Bosa or something, and he gets hurt, then what? Where's your pass rush go? It's it's the same situation. It's it's two sides of the same coin. So, uh, I mean, sacks. Everybody's sack, 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 sack. Pressure is more consistent. You hear everyone in the NFL, pressure is more consistent. So that's the thinking there. Um, what does one do to get more sacks? Have Miles Garrett? I mean, have, you know, uh, better pass rushers. Finish. Uh, the Brovost, uh, and this will be our last one from Twitter. Favorite OL in the draft based on value, Linderbaum, Aquonu, Cross, Kennard, Raymond, Penning, other. Favorite as far as value, um, Cross is fucking smooth, and I feel like he might be there for them at 14. Um, Falele is a ton of fun, as you, you've hinted at on Twitter. He's he's pretty sick. I've got some questions about like the way that Pass Pro might translate for him, but he's I love him. Um Kenyon Green is a ton of fun. He'd be in uh, maybe a little bit of a weird value. I think he might slide past them, uh, but it's it's early in the process, so we'll see. But uh, I feel like a Kwonu might might go a lot earlier than some people are thinking. It's um, it's fluid right now. With you know, it's it's early in draft season. Guys are going to rise. Guys are going to fall. Whatever value. I mean. For to me, Falele has a and this is not. I swear, this is not purple glasses. Has a lot of similarities to Orlando Brown against speed rushers, uh, particularly. You know, size of course is is somewhat similar, but speed rushers has has smooth, quiet feet. It's not these heavy plodding steps that are laborious for him. And then he squats down, bends at the knees, and shoots really incredible length to make those pass rushers have to run way longer around the arc. They make the circle a much looser angle. And then they can wash you out, allows the quarterback to step up to their right. As a right tackle, you're going to be able to see that happening a lot of the time. The quarterback's, you know, a right-handed quarterback is going to be tilted that way a lot of the time. And you're able to to step up through, break the pocket, break contain. And that's where defenses crumble is when quarterbacks can roll to their throwing side and break that contain, especially a Lamar Jackson, a Josh Allen, a Patrick Mahomes, all those guys. So uh, I think I see some similarities there in the run game. I mean, he is fucking strong as shit. Uh, crazy raw strength. His hand placement is still not good at all. Like, so much room to grow there. It's not as bad as a Leatherwood, and you see it growing quickly, very quickly from 2019 into 2021. He opted out in 2020. But, also new to uh, new to football. He Like Cody says, he's he's Aussie. I think he... he- he might have like started playing at age eighteen, right? He was like a rugby player growing up. I think he, I think he uh, went to IMG as a junior in high school. Okay, and uh, that was the first time he played football. He was yeah. found at a gym in Australia by a, a scout, um, some sort of international scout or uh, Pacific scout. I don't know something, and uh, ends up going to IMG, which is a fo- basically just a football institution. Started in as a uh, tennis institution, actually. Shout out to uh, Andre Agassi and Nick Balatieri. Absolutely. You're right about that. And they're, uh, they're trying to get basketball up and running as well. But, uh, so he goes there, ends up, you know, being looked at as this project goes in, starts, I think his red shirt freshman year, 2019 and, uh, kills it. And then you watch them take a huge step back without him in terms of metrics. I was looking at sports info solutions, uh, point saved, all that stuff. You know, it's just helping with the picture. It's not a big part of it to me, but 
top 20 in the country, uh, points say points earned and points above average. So, you know, you see some, some misses there. The thing to me with him, and I don't want to harp on him too long. I, I guess this is kind of my soapbox on Flele, who I've watched extensively a bit. Guys come in and you see it in the Ohio state game in 2021 guys come in and they're like, all right, we're going to go put a new fresh body on him. Somebody's got to attack him. And you'll see one or two reps where an edge rusher gives everything they've got and they'll win hand placement and they'll lock out and they might, you know, snatch down and pull his jersey and win once or twice. It is so hard to win against him for four quarters. He will give up his chest to a bull rush. And of course guys are stronger in the NFL, whatever, but still he will give up his chest. He will lose the hands battle. Guys will get a full extension into him and he moves one fucking step back. He is out of this world strong. So I, I think he specifically with Lamar Jackson, who is so quick, and even, you know, in a Greg Roman offense or, a, a, you know, an offense like the Ravens, Lamar Jackson's always going to run a lot of play action. I think whoever is the coordinator would be stupid not to if it's not Roman. So he's always going to get those low-gear rushers. Guys don't want to run too quickly out of Lamar Jackson's eyes anyway. So to me, that's going to help. Uh, PFF gave him a true pass, uh, true, true pass block or whatever it's called, true pass set grade in the 80s, I think, which is very high. So I think, you know, the feet are good. Hand placement needs to be better. Um, you know, it needs to, needs to have some better timing with the strikes, but I think he is the best fit for the Ravens of any of these tackles. And I think that gives him the ability to be drafted the latest maybe and, and have that value. Um, Zach Curlander, is he a first round pick? We're about to see, cause he's about to go to that senior bowl and there's a, a loaded group of that senior bowl next, next week, beginning of February, two weeks. And, uh, we're, we're going to get to see if he's a first round pick or not. And I have a sneaking su suspicion that he absolutely is. I think you um, just those measurables. He's if for anyone that doesn't know, he's like six nine, four hundred pounds, probably like closer to three eighty, like realistically. But like I think like three sixty five. Yeah, something like that. Like he he is a mammoth. Like and it's it's hilarious to watch him because like some of the technique that you're mentioning, like it's funny because like in pass pro a lot of the time what I saw was he would just like slip a guy to the right. And he would just, and he's playing on the right tackle. So he would just slip a guy to the right and say like, oh, you want to go around me? Okay, well, I'm this fucking big and I have this wingspan and my feet are this wide that I'm just going to set And I'm base. strong enough. Yeah, and I'm strong enough and you're not going to go anywhere. And sometimes he just pins guys down to the ground and like they don't go anywhere. Like it's, it's comical to watch at times. It is. It is like, uh, it's like the, you know, the camp counselor, the kids are trying to attack him in the pool. It's Kramer, yeah. yeah, going up against the kids in uh, karate, basically. Just yes. Like, I'm, yeah, just whipping your ass, basically. Yes, and it is so hard to beat him for four quarters. You can run right behind him. Down blocks, insane. Caves dense in the run game. Um, you know, guys can attack him and get, their, get his chest and beat him. It's going to happen, but there's also room to grow still. So he he's going to come in and be able to play relatively quickly. Look at, I mean, look at Jordan Mailata. How, how much he's grown, how physical and strong and athletic he was at his size and how much he's grown. Uh, the work ethic, to me, you know, Jordan Davis, I hear all these stories, you know, this is just like stupid bullshit, maybe speculation, but I hear the stories of Flaley, who is, uh, loves football, loves to practice, loves his teammates, loves to compete, loves to have fun on the practice field, loves to be in the gym working out, hard worker relative to football. Then you hear Jordan Davis hides in the bathroom so he doesn't have to go to weightlifting at Georgia. Like, doesn't love football. Had to be, you know, convinced to play. Like, very, very physically gifted, all these things. But, like, that's going to factor in to where a guy goes. And that's the stuff that we're not going to know necessarily where it's at, specifically with, with many of these players in this class. Some guys might be bums. Some guys might be the hardest working 
most charismatic, you know, that's how guys fall. That's how evaluators fall in love with guys um, is through those and getting to know these players and, you know, how kind of bright they are in the eyes or, um, you know, how great they are, you know, overcoming adversity, things like that. Um, so to me, Flaley is, is maybe a first rounder. The other guys, Charles Cross, you mentioned to me, I think I'm going to put him at OT one. The scary thing to me there is that, uh, there, there's two things. He was bad in 2020, which is his first year as a starter. He's bad. Um, you saw improvement, but he was bad air raid, uh, to me, you know, played in Mike Leach's air raid to me, that gives you experience in your past. sets. I think the run game, especially on a team like the Ravens can be coached up. People have the question of, you know, what do you do with him? If, if you draft, Stay, uh, if, you, if you draft Cross, what do you do? You know, you have Stanley. If Cross is there and you're not really happy with anyone else, I'm, I'm fine having two franchise left tackles and, and maybe one of them has to play right tackle. It's probably going to be Cross, but I would rather have two than none. And that's what my worry is. They have to overcompensate on the offensive line right now. Um, I think that by the draft, the Ravens should have a much clearer picture of where Ronnie Stanley's at. He'll, he'll be removed from his last procedure by, when do you get that, Jake? October maybe? Uh, yep. Or November, maybe. Yeah. Like was, late September, early October, somewhere around there. Yeah. So that's, you know, going to be six, seven months out from that procedure. Um, and it, it was supposed to be, you know, clean up and something else. So I think they'll have a good idea. So, uh, at that point, interesting. Aquanu to me has the badassery, um, has the, the kick-assness to him, uh, the, the, the desire to be physical and finish. So, uh, you know, I think there's improvements. I don't think he's the quickest guy on earth, but the tenaciousness is there, all those things. I don't think they can sniff Evan Neal. Uh, Penning, to me, is really intriguing. I uh, watched one game against Iowa State. Uh, once he, he has that Ryan Jensen to him. Guys, defensive players fucking hate him. That He won't stop hitting at through and after the whistle. So um, a, a lot of these tackles. Kennard, think he's an inside guy. Watch Trayvon Walker fucking abuse him uh i was just watching walker and doesn't look like he has the athleticism to play on the outside to me uh, and the quickness so i think he's a little bit more of an inside guy i'm not sure how high i am on him ultimately but um you know penning cross flaley um a lot of those guys are, are quite intriguing right now there's a, a couple more that we'll get into eventually but um, i'm excited for this tackle class good year you need offensive lineman uh and that is all we had from Twitter. Sorry if I didn't get to your question. There were some redundancies. So uh, in order to keep the show running, let's uh, get on over to IG. Absolutely. Uh, Sam Quintana, what is the podcast schedule looking like during off-season slash draft slash preseason? Great stuff. Been listening for a while. Um, Podcast schedule, you know, we're likely going to be doing more Tuesday-ish, Thursday-ish episodes or maybe Monday, Thursday uh, we'll, we'll get that all definitive. We're going to be laying down the purple prospect portfolio. We are open to name change suggestions, I think. Or are we going to stick with beatdowns, big boards? Because that's, I think. Beatdown, beat the beatdown, big board. That's what it is. Yep, 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 yep. Beatdown, big board. That That's coming back. Forgot what we called it. Beatdown, big board coming back. I know we had another one ask uh, about you, Jake. Where was it? I'll find it eventually. They, they want to know, essentially, what uh, what your plans are for this offseason and if you're going to have uh, evergreen kind of content, I believe. What's uh, Jake? So it's I am Jay Richter, who's here in the comments as well. What is Jake's next big podcast project? Uh, so there's something in the works. I'm really not ready to talk about it, like, literally at all yet. Uh, I've put some pen to paper on it. Uh, it wouldn't nearly be, like, quite the scale of Forgotten Dynasty, which was, like, six episodes and, like, 12 total hours. It'd be something a little bit smaller, I think, for a lot of reasons. I think to kind of just 
scale it down, maybe try something a little bit uh, smaller and uh, just sort of focus in on something a little bit more tight as opposed to like a 30-year um, time period that I spanned with that. I think it would make it a little more a little more digestible. Um, so I, I do have plans to maybe try and get something like that out this offseason. I'm not going to rush it if I can't find the time, but uh, it's not going anywhere. So uh, I definitely have, uh, definitely have an iron in the fire in that regard, but not quite ready to uh, say anything yet. And when I am like, it'll, my style is like, I'm just, I'll announce it and then it'll be ready to come out within like a week or two. So. Love it. Evergreen content. That's what the off season's for baby, especially post draft season. Oh yeah. Mitch McGee, favorite prospect to fall to 14, not named Linderbaum or Gardner. Um, at this point, I think, I think it's booth for me. Um, booth. It feels like, those who critique his game and have him as like a, a player in the twenties don't have very strong criticism. Um, I, I, they're very, very vague. I think PFF has him in the twenties and it's, it's Renner. And I think the comment is that we saw him kind of, you know, not finish 2021 as strongly let up some plays or something like that. But to me, the traits are outstanding. The productions there, the skills are all there. So for me, that's uh, that's him right now. Um, yeah. And then Charles Cross, probably. Yeah, Charles Cross, definitely. I mean, like, if Akunu starts to fall, like, and he he's getting into that up near the 10 sort of range, I'm all for, like, packaging some stuff. And, like, I don't really love the JJ chart, but I know a lot of teams still use it, so I would have to look into the JJ value and kind of see what it would cost to go up and get a guy like that. But you're at 14. It's not the worst spot in the world. And uh, I, I'm just, I'm all in on getting tackle insurance because, like, we've been... Talking about this Ronnie Stanley situation is uh, concerning to say the least. I think they'll probably have more clarity on it by then. Um, so who knows what the strategy will be by that point, but uh, you can never be a hundred percent sure with something like this. So. Yeah. Um, we have questions about trading up. I, I, I think I'm going to do an official moratorium on trading up uh, talk. It's something that happens very rarely, especially with this franchise Mock drafts, I'm making my my 2022 NFL draft resolution. I will not be posting or talking about or extrapolating on anything, especially in the first round involving trading up um, and, and really trading backs. No, no trades these 2022 for mock drafts. The Ravens are picking at 14. I hopefully I'm hopefully I'm jinxing this. Maybe, I don't know, but they need a lot of picks. They don't have a great cap situation right now. They're going to need bodies. They need, you know, with Lamar Jackson potentially getting paid, it feels like they're going to need a lot of bodies. And they like those lottery tickets, whatever. But 14 is very high for them. I feel like they think they can hit a blue chipper. So no trades ease 2022, especially in the first round. Uh, with that, Hamilton, I mean, yeah. You know, if, if you can throw in a third-round pick, move up two spots, you know, jump the Browns and take them or something, or, uh, you know, three spots, you know, throw a, next year's fourth. Shout, and out, third, to, uh, next year's shout out to them in 2016 for not being willing to part with a uh, third-round pick. Uh, and not getting Jalen Ramsey and uh, getting Ronnie Stanley, which worked out for a time, but uh, brother, I'm a little nervous. Yeah. So Hamilton, it feels like tough. Uh, sure. Hamilton's a, a probably going to be a top five player in this class for me. Jake, I know you've liked him for a long time. You're also a little, little, little uh, lighthearted to the the Notre Dame boys as well. So I, yeah, I'm a Homer, but uh, I, I am a Hamilton guy. hundred percent. Alexander and Kyle both. Um, so yeah. That, I'm done with trade up talk. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut those out for a while. If I see a really intriguing one in the next couple of months and really intriguing question on trading up, let's discuss it. But this is like year 
you're four, you're four for us. No, you're three of covering the draft for this. Yes, because, because we, we started, started right. We started so this right is year after three. the draft. Yeah, the trade up stuff, guys. Let's let's zero in. No tradesies. Let's let's not not yet at least. Let's let's just get into the prospects for now. And like when it, I know when, it's fun when you're doing a mock draft. Go when, have fun when you're doing it and through the shit online. Go have fun. But let's yeah, let's do prospects. Let's look at fourteen. Let's look at who we want between guys and not worry about that. And and you know I know on PFF you can make some really fun trades and end up with six first rounders. Whatever. Let's let's hone in on fourteen. Let's look at a Jabo. Let's look at Booth. Let's look at Cross. Let's look at these guys. Who's the one? That's that's what I want to zero in on here. Uh, moving on. Should the Ravens sign Akeem Hicks? Yeah. yeah that's yeah. a good, that's a really good idea. I like that. Had some injury troubles, it feels like, the last couple of years, but, uh, you know, depends on the price. But, again, my strategy, much similar to Dan Duquette's in uh, his tenure with the Baltimore Orioles. Who Orioles fans miss. Hashtag bring back Dan. Shout out to Hashtag Jordan. bring back Mark Trestman. Yeah. Um, buy the bats. or Yeah, buy the bats, grow the arms. By the defense, grow the offense. I think that is is what we have seen very much so. Defenders, it feels like in free agency, there's a, a little bit more saturation. Uh, defenders feel like there's much much quicker adjustment. You know, inter, intertwining scheme. You know, whatever feels like the language changes, but the coverages are somewhat the same. You know, a lot of the same stuff defensively. Uh, feels like offensive players get like look at Corey Davis, Kenny Dolladay. You know, maybe they'll produce, but. I really wanted Corey Davis this past cycle. I, I'm willing to eat crow on that one. Uh, maybe it would have worked out differently in Baltimore, but feels like it's rare that the big money guys in free agency end up being great signings. I mean, Zeitler signs for you know a couple million cap hit, one of the best free agency signings of the year of any team. Justin Houston, veteran defender, comes in. Josh Bynes, guy you can bring in. How many times have we seen you know, Daryl Smith or uh, you know, Doomerville, they, they end up making a play for all, all these defenders. It feels like translate through free agency much more fluidly uh, to me. Maybe that's just stupid and big brain, but to me, it's uh, I want to, I want to buy the defense. So Akeem Hicks, I think great. Bobby Wagner. Great. Um, you know, we talked to Marcus Williams and and some other guys like that. So all very intriguing to me. 100%. Kurtz Priya here rumblings about firing wink due to quarterbacks, figuring out his scheme. Thoughts. I don't quarterbacks figure out every scheme, like every defense, you know, that isn't healthy sent out from hell. You know, I mean, last year they were an elite defense this year. They missed some guys, you know, the, the secondary underperforms a little bit, uh, blows a lot of assignments. Feels like Marcus Peters was a big, big loss for them. You know, linebacker situation was spotty. Clayus Campbell missed time. Brandon Williams missed time. Um, Deshaun Elliott goes down. Marlon Humphrey goes down. Tavon Young's coming back from injury. Jimmy Smith isn't playing. Chris Westry's even hurt at one point. Anthony Averett's hurt at one point. Uh, I, I, I don't. I don't put a lot of stock into that. I don't know what that means necessarily. You know, cover zero. I think uh, Judon and I can't recall the. I think it was uh, Quandre Diggs and Judon. I'm talking about cover zero. They think it should be you know once in a while call, not something to hang your hat. On. I think the Ravens let up six touchdowns on cover zero. Uh, this year, one pick, uh, I think it was 15 of 31 opposing passers were six touchdowns, one pick, five passes defended. So under 50% completion, but definitely let up some big plays. You think of that one to, uh, Goodwin against the bears, um, you know, happened a couple of times. So could tone it down for sure. I think teams have caught up to cover zero there, especially against the Ravens. It feels like they're prepared for that a little bit more. So, but the league leader 30 times in a season, you know, it's, it's once or twice a game. Um, so the cover zero th- stuff, I think is a little bit over saturated just feels like they 
don't have leaders. They don't have a lot of players in their prime. They don't have a lot of players in their prime that are like playing at the high level. You can hang your hat on really. So uh, it, was, it was a very young and old defense. It felt like, you know, a little bit polarized in that sense. Marlon Humphrey didn't have a great year. Um, so uh, I, I think Wink's fine. Uh, I think he does a great job. I mean, when's the, when's the last time they had one first round pick on defense um, out of four years? Felt like they were going defense in the first round for a while. You know, you go 18, you get two offensive first round picks. 19, offensive first round pick. 20, you get a middle linebacker that didn't work out great for the first couple of years. 21, you get a wide receiver and then a, a pass rusher. So it's, you know, they, they've definitely been skewing a little more towards offense with their higher picks too, which hasn't helped in that regard, I don't think. But I, I was all for it and still am, so. Definitely. Um, going back through, I mean, overall, in the, let's say day one, day two, OA and Stevens, Matabike, the only day two uh, defender taken. So they took Queen and Matabike. Uh, Jalen Ferguson in 2019, 2018, none. So you've had one, two, three, four, five in the first two rounds, first three rounds, pardon me, over the last four years. So I, I definitely think there's some stock there. A lot of late round defenders. Need an infusion of talent on defense a little bit. The the Jimmys and Joes are uh, more than the X's and O's. And I think on defense, that that definitely is a major factor. You lose guys like C.J. Mosley. You lose guys like Matt Judon, Darius Smith. Um, a lot of guys walked away. So need to need to revamp there. Calais Campbell, Marcus Peters, you know, the, the two big names they brought in. Obviously, Earl Thomas fucked them over big time. A really shitty situation considering how well he played in 2019 and how it turned out. So I think Jake's, Jake's spot on there. Um, draft a defensive player in the first round, draft three offensive linemen. How about that? Sure. And a tight end. I like let's, it. Let's, yeah. ha- let's have that be like the first, first two days of the draft. Let's, let's go defensive playmaker, maybe a booth, maybe a, a Jabo, maybe you know Walker or someone like of that nature. Hamilton, God forbid. Um, you know, Derwin James. I don't mean, no, you never know with Hamilton. Derwin James was available at 16 falls a bit. Maybe Hamilton's got some dumb medical concern or something, but I just feel like, yeah, also safeties, like we always say like, oh, this safety is going to go really high. Trevon Merrig falls to the second. You know, it's like it happens with safeties all the time, I feel like. That's true. Uh, not a ton. You know, Jamal Adams, the only one I can think of that's drafted super high lately. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, maybe we shall see. Lamar's the only reason why Harbaugh has a job. He's a joke of a head coach. When will we get rid of Harbaugh, Roman, and Wink? Tomorrow, it's yeah, going to happen that'll, tomorrow, that'll, that'll and they're well. going to hire Eric Bieniemy and everything. They're going to win a Super Bowl, and that's the end of it. And you, sir, are a genius. Uh, I, mean, I mean, this is going to be a crucial year. I will say that. Um, Roman, you know, maybe it's time for some fresh blood offensively. You know, again, coordinators, for two coordinators to last four years is one of, you know, the, the how, how often has that happened, let's say, in the last 10 years, that both coordinators on both sides of the ball have stayed I mean, for four years. Jim Caldwell got a head coaching job after the 2013 season, which was one of the more unpleasant offensive washers I've ever seen. And he turned out to be a pretty good hire. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting. It is. So, I mean, coordinators, you can use some fresh blood a little bit, maybe. Um, on, on one side, Wink, I'm, I'm riding with Wink still. I think he's a great defensive mind. I think that there's a lot of respect for him in the league. Roman, you want to get some fresh blood in. You want to get a you know new offense, steal a little bit of Roman's old offense. Um, go for it. So yeah, I'm, I'm rocking Harbaugh, with Harbaugh to me, I mean, if they, if they shit the bed again, you know, maybe, maybe it is a Brian Billick situation. Um, you, you gotta, you gotta get fresh blood in there, something of the sort, but Harbaugh to me is getting a job immediately. If he, uh, is, is, is walks away from the Ravens. 
if he wants another job in the NFL, he's going to get one immediately. Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with John for pretty much forever. Like, you know, I'm John's my guy. I'm riding with John. Wink is a, a lot of sweat equi- equity with me. I think he's around for at least another couple of years if he wants to be. And Roman, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm pretty, pretty hit or miss on at this point. If they want to replace him, I'm fine with that. For sure. Ryan J. Laurie, if you could change one rule for next year, what rule would you change? For me, uh, the first one that co- I have two. The first one that comes to mind is immediately that DPI is not a spot foul. It's a 15-yard penalty. Yep. Uh, the second is that all fumbles are fumbles. Explain. If if the ball comes out, it's a fumble. Yeah, but how do you define that? It, the the if it, it happens before the whistle, before the whistle's blown, the ball comes out. You know, if it's in question at all, it's a fumble. So no tuck Let's, rule. Let's 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 get the fumbles going. Let's pump the fumbles up. I'm talking more quarterbacks. If the arm's going forward, eh, eh, not it's still a pass. But I'm talking more like skill players with the ball. Like if if the ground forces the ball out, it's a fumble. Yeah, I agree with that. 100%. I think that's I think that's the best way to put it. If the ground forces the ball out, it's a fumble. Yeah, yeah. For me, um, we either we got we got to start either calling less offensive holding or offensive holding is a five yard penalty. It's just an absolute drive killer, and they call it so fucking often, I feel like. It's so- it's gotten pretty crazy lately. It is, and it's like, you know, I get It's that, really like, hard to call real time. I, let's go sky judge on that. Like, let's let's be more thorough with holding. Yeah, it's just like, it's it's it, it's a drive killer. I mean, 10 yards, like, that's an entire set of downs. Like, and that, that just completely screws teams over, and, like, maybe I'm biased as a team who, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it feels like there was a lot of those called against the Ravens this year. I'm sure you're pulling them up, but... Man, it's just, it's a rough watch. I see it in other games and it frustrates me. It's like, man, like either fucking fix this rule or keep the flags in your pocket. And I know that the latter is not going to happen. So let's, let's do something about this. The Baltimore Ravens were 34. They had 31 offensive holdings, which was 28th in the NFL, which was 289 yards, nullified 146 yards. And they stalled 13 drives. So the Ravens were I think I'm, I'm probably just most offensive it. holding. Yeah. They were 30th in yards, uh, cumulatively four holding, and they were 26th in the most stalled drives. So 13 of their drives stalled, at, or they punted, or I guess they punted after a uh, an offensive holding. Yeah, so I'm probably confusing that with just overall offensive line and procedural penalties, which is uh, probably a larger discussion. But yeah, it just feels like even watching other games, like I said, like it's like, oh, you get a hold and like, for a lot of offenses, that's just there's a drive pretty much gone. So that's that's frustrating to me. And uh, I mean, they, they ranked very poorly. They were 31st in the NFL. They you know uh, had the 30th. They they were the worst in the NFL basically. Oh okay, so okay. It, it was not. They were bad in that. They so were bad. Okay, so, so zero you, holdings would be best, and that would be first in the NFL. Okay, so 31 they, offensive holdings is the 28th, so it's the fourth worst. They had, they were uh, third in most yards lost from holdings, and they had the f- sixth most drive stall. As a result of holding, which makes sense because Villanueva, it's fucking hacksaw rigs out there. The guy's just hanging on for dear life, literally. I mean, Reitler, I think, accounted for the majority of the holds, actually. Yeah, I want to say that he had a lot of them. Um, and yeah, it's just, it was frustrating. Even, and like I said, even just watching other games, like it, the refs just, they will not keep these flags in their pants. And like, if that's going to be the reality, then that's the reality. But this is one that I, I just feel like is kind of a little bit of a game breaking glitch. So let's get into the, uh, into the, the code, into the matrix, and let's fix it. Five yards. 
Certainly. Um, any vet running backs returning despite Dobbins and Gus back? To me, let's let's dra- let's have one of those fourth round, maybe you know, the, one of the last that that uh, 189 I think they have in the sixth round, maybe. Let's draft a running back day three. I think. Um, I let's see the Ravens do that. Let's get some fresh legs, some juice. Um, you know, somebody that you know. Look, look at an Eli Mitchell. Look at you know some of these guys uh, that have been a little bit later. Let's let's see the you know Hassan Haskins maybe a sincere McCormick. Um, Abram, Abraham Smith out of Baylor. Uh, let, let's see. Uh, I was really into Zach Charbonnet, UCLA as a monster back. Um, he he's returning to school. So let's let's get some fresh blood in here. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a, a perfect year for it. And uh, I mean, you talk about those two guys, those other two guys are still pretty young. So having a young three headed monster there and then uh, with Lamar at quarterback, I, I, I like the prospects there. And it would be a good investment, too, because both these guys are coming off pretty serious injuries. So. Exactly. Fresh so legs. I think Fresh you legs. can kind of uh, maybe you you know rely on those two the first month. You want to see them come back, and then you can kind of ease off, pump the brakes, let a rookie get some touches. And uh, we all know Jakey Boy loves the fresh legs down the stretch. So wow. I think that, <laughs> so I think that there's some, uh, some interesting running backs. I mean, uh, Kyron Williams at a Notre Dame, really good third down back. James Cook could provide provide some juice. Uh, Tyler Algier at a BYU. Really, really, really exciting back. Brees Hall, Iowa State. I mean, uh, Brian Robinson, even uh, Zonovan Knight, Damian Pierce, you know, Zeus, Samir White out of Georgia. Um, trade, a a, of, trade a six round pick for Trey Sermon. I, yeah, right. Kyle Shanahan's not giving up no backs. I'm giving He's up. He's got no like backs. 50 of them. You, you don't even use him. Jerry and Ely. You don't fuck that. Draft Jerry and Ely. Draft Abram Smith. Draft uh, Pierre Strong. You know, Tyler Goodson out of Iowa. I mean, I think think this is going to be a, a bad running back year. I don't think we see one taken in the first round. Probably, um, let's let's get it back on day three. Let's see the Ravens get it back on day three. Okay, sure. If you want Terry, Trey Sermon, go get him. Go get him. You're you're entitled to that opinion, big boy. Okay, Kyle Shanahan. Who knows, man? By Sunday, who knows who will be alive? Yeah, he's all bangers all the time, and he's just like, dude, what the fuck, Mike? I'm gonna trade Trey Sermon. Kyle Shanahan mm-hmm. is Kendall Roy. Is my my recurring bit. Dude, can we get some synergy going in here? Like, with, with dad's, like dad's really that. weighing me down. I mean, all bangers all the time. Yeah, man. cool tweets, all bangers all the time. That's kind of my kind of my thing. Who's who is Mike McDaniel? Is he Romulus? Mm, he's a little too space. Oh, he, he's be. cousin Greg, isn't he? Has to be, but he's like, I think he has to be Greg because he like Mike Mike McDaniel is like Kyle Shanahan's, you know, Robin. That's his that's his little assistant. That's his you know, his buddy. Yeah. And uh, Romulus hates Ken too much. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's, you know, he's a little spacey, but he's also smarter than he lets on. You can kind of tell it. So I like the, I like the cousin Greg comparison there. They don't necessarily look alike. I made the comparison actually to Mike McDaniel at maybe a week or two ago at this point that he is a, uh, he's a character actor from the late nineties and early two thousands. And he appears mostly in stoner comedies, uh, would go on to become one of the uh, pioneers of the podcasting industry in the mid two thousands. That's what he looks like to me. I completely agree. Jay Buffoni, is Liver King natty? Is the Liver King natural? No, brother. The Liver King is pumped up full of definite. You sure about that? <sighs> he's he's eating, am, he's brother. eating his slonkers and his uh he's you know drinking those eggs down, you know, shot by shot. What's up, primals? Every every morning. Him and uh, we gotta and get him. After living primals, we're about it. We got to get him and Marlon in a room together. I know there's a, just a few dis- degrees of separation there. I, 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 we need to get there's a camera crew in there. There's only a few synapses that are firing differently between Marlon being Marlon and Marlon being the Liver King. It, yeah, it's 
that, that's a slippery slope right there, but I, I'm really anxious to see what that would look like. So we got to make Especially that Especially because, like, millionaire Marlon can now – like he wants to, he, he's so flashy now. He wants so to get to, he wants to get, yeah, billionaire Marlon is going to be like Gavin Belson. He's going to be do, fucking with like blood bags and shit. Like he's going to be, he's going to be. Marlon Humphrey is the Gavin Belson of the NFL. That's, is. that is spot on established. Yeah. And he's, he has, he has uh, spoken on the liver King. I don't know if it was on Twitter or if he shared like an Instagram thing. So I, I, that's something that I'd, I'd be really, I let's, let's watch this space is what I would say. hundred percent. But the Liver King is not natty. He is on stuff, man. I mean, he's you, yeah. No, he's you're short, not getting. You're five not getting seven, five eight king. He's a short king, so that helps a little bit. But there's no way he's natty. You're not getting that definition. You're not getting those abs by just crushing slonkers and like doing whatever he does with like his his you know sit up routine and his simulated hunts. That's not happening. I see a little gyno uh, gynomasty there. I see some titties, man. I see the nipple. The nipple development freaks me out. Nipples hard all the time. That's that's how you know. Yeah, he freaks me out. That's for sure. Definitely. Rugger 25 is a hot dog, a sandwich, or a sub. Rugger 25. Hold on. We're going to go to break. This is Mike and Mike on the uh, Progressive Insurance uh, Subway Fresh Take Hotline. Mike, I, I wanted to talk to you about this. Is a hot dog a sandwich? But first, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? No. No, Greeny. <laughs> He's just eating. <laughs> um, you, you just can't. You just can't, Greeny. Come on. Um, that's actually funny you mentioned that because I was talking to the wife the other day and uh, she said that a hot dog actually is a glizzy more after the break hot, a hot dog is a hot dog you know it's just let's let it be what it is why do we have I to can't, I can't believe you're not hitting the Seinfeld synth right now there you go there you go that's what that is for that's what that is for Rugger 25 I'm gonna come at you right now a little bit I'm gonna come at you a sandwich or a sub, what does sub mean? A submarine sandwich. So is a sandwich a sandwich? Yes. Are subs a sandwich? Yes. You, if you're by the that, sandwich. If I, by that logic, are glizzies a sandwich? If they're, if you're putting glizzies into either sandwich or submarine, then the answer is yes. On, yes. Oh, the answer is yes on both accounts. Yes. Yeah. You're, you're, listen, I love me a good sandwich, but you're a sandwich. You are the sandwich guy, so... I mean, you literally started a sandwich Instagram account, so I, I'm gonna have to defer to you on that. But yeah, a hot dog's a hot dog. Like, let's let's just put that to rest. It's just gonna be what it Agreed. is. Agreed. We don't have to define things and put things into boxes. That's not the world that I want to live in. And a hot dog is a hot dog. Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. Um, let's go through some fun ones here. Glassy Fresh. Who should Terps basketball hire as their new coach? Maryland. Somebody from PG County. Maryland fans want Rick Patino. Hashtag let's pick Rick. Boom. Rickard, baby. That'll be really the Richard. That, that would be a really uh, a really fast route to success. It would. He would, quit, he would they would uh, they would be they would come quickly to uh to um one of the high <laughs> they would to the elite eight at least. They they would come quickly to that. They would come so quick. Maybe See, hopefully they wouldn't hopefully the moment wouldn't be too big and they would piss down their leg. Z Zoller, who is your dream free agent? Um, Z Zoller, who's your dream free agent signing? Mewtwo? Uh, I would go Mewtwo, probably. Wait, what? Who's your dream free agent signing? I would I would go Mewtwo. Who's Mewtwo? Uh, most most powerful Pokemon, brother. I mean, Mewtwo playing free safety. Oh, okay. Mewtwo's 6'7. Psychic with pressure ability. Oh my God. Oh my God. 
I mean, unless you're unless you're looking at a dark bug or a ghost, you know, uh, I think Mewtwo is going to be successful uh, in the Raven scheme. I think Wink could do great things with Mewtwo. Shout out to a show that I've been watching, uh, Peacemaker. I'm going to sign Peacemaker to play uh, tight end slash fullback. No, oh, they kind no of already Pete. tried that with uh, that uh, wrestler dude, um, which didn't really work out. But that's okay. Bronson Recksteiner. Yeah. Ben Mason in Bronson Recksteiner. Give me, give me Bronson Recksteiner over Ben Mason any fucking day. Those two should be a tag team duo in uh, in the old WWE. Listen, you know, uh, Bronson is not looking for work. He is doing just fine in that regard. So, Exactly. How much does Lamar get uh, about Tree Fitty? Let's go, I don't know, the, 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 old, the old streets are saying that Lamar is once uh, one metric shitload of dollars, uh, and the Ravens, like, were not, they're what I think the Ravens struck first from what I hear, and this is all bullshit that I just heard from dumb Thorthiv, quote unquote. Um, Are we gonna get into apparently a the Ravens right now? struck you know struck first? And we're like, all right, here's a number. Lamar was like, no, 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 way too low, way too low. Uh, that's that's all I've heard, and that could be completely false. Do not take that for uh, for real info. But I think Lamar is looking at you know 120 milli plus guaranteed, um, and I, I think the Ravens are. Tr- had a little trepidation. The season was weird. You know, what's going on? Do we want to get an offensive line in front of him? Can we do that with the cap space and the draft? What's the situation? Uh, they could save a lot of money this year by doing it. Is that worth it to them? I don't know. Uh, this took a lot longer than I thought. I thought it'd be done by now, uh, to be honest. So feels like we're starting to get in a little situation where this is going to become a real talking point in the next couple months. Six years, $44 million. Per year. Right around Josh Allen money then. Just literally one million more than him. One million more. May, it might Josh be less, had though. a ten million dollar cap hit this year, has a sixteen next year, and then I think it's like a forty-four. It might that. it might it might be less with that no agents fee. Might not be much less, but that that, that might it only more. saves like th- I think two percent. Two or three. So a couple, a couple mil, yeah, maybe. You know, that's that's what I'm talking could about. Be, could be, could be six mil, but maybe he wants that for himself, and he's like, "Well, that's money that I save, not you." Who knows? Could be. Pat Evan Collins. We got a couple. We'll end with a couple uh, season kind of broad questions we got here. Jay Buffoni, optimistic win total with the cupcake schedule. Is it a cupcake schedule? They've got the loser schedule, so they play the what is it the Giants, the Jets. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, they play all the losers. So the the NFC out of the NFC out of division cross conference game is, I think, the is going to be a fourth place, um, and then their two AFC games will be fourth place finishers, as well. The the two AFC games that are aside from the the AFC North schedule, so they have three lehu zahers instead of wihin ahers. I, yeah, I don't really know about like win totals, but man, I just like this division. I feel like it's going to be a bitch for a couple of years, especially if Pittsburgh gets like a at least decent option at quarterback like this offseason. I mean, I don't know, man. This division is just beating itself up. Bengals are only going to get better. Yeah, uh, they've got they've got cap space. Rounds are going to get Baker back. They'll be right around 500 at, at worst, I think. Like, it's tough. They went one and five in the division this year, as we've said. Like, that's you got to be better than that. That uh, that was the difference. I mean, you're three and three. You're you're easily in the playoffs. If you're five and one, you're you're talking about a one seed. 
Um, so the, the bungles, I mean, they have 25 right now in the mocks, they have 25, 57, 89, 127, 137, 166, 202. And in terms of cap space before moves are made, I think they've got to do some, some things with, uh, Mr. Mr. Bates and a couple other situations, 2022, they have 55 million in cap space. Oh, great. So Bengals are, uh, on cloud nine. And only going to get better. I think we're going to see them as a top of conference finisher. Um, you know, 11, 12, 13 win team as we move forward. And this is going to coincide with a couple other questions. Pat Evan Collins, does the cap situation affect rebuild or retool strategy next year? Yeah, they're fucked. The Ravens are not in a good spot right now. Uh, Ronnie Stanley situation is so key to what happens to the Ravens in the next two years. They are absolutely unable to save any money with him um, outside of an extension, which they don't, it feels like a bad idea, maybe. Um, if he can't play or can't play it at like a top 12 left tackle level, they're screwed, man. I mean, $20 million cap hit really weighing you down. Marlon Humphrey needs to come back and play at a top level and, and get his shit together be more consistent, play a little a little more technical, a little bit less physical. I think he needs to save his body, and that's something that I feel like I jinxed this year. I, I definitely said it to you, Jake, I feel like, maybe even on this podcast. How is he staying healthy so long, the way that he's playing? Um, we need to see him hone in on becoming a more, you know, focusing on nuance and consistent technical reps more so than being a tornado all the time and throwing your head and your shoulder and your limbs and punching and all. I mean, the punches are great. Force a fumble. Absolutely. You are too valuable to miss games. Have, you know, reckless abandon when needed fourth quarter late in the year playoffs, turn the hell up. Absolutely. But let's see the technical consistency rise as the cream to the crop. Um, you know, the cream rises to the top and I, I, those two guys are $100 million players and over the cap valued Marlon Humphrey at 2 million this year on uh on the second biggest, you know, cornerback contract in the NFL. So has to step up next year. Has to, has to step up uh, ball skills. You know, we got fish trainer here has to play the ball better in the air. It's not who he is. Unfortunately, can he improve there? Sure. You know, he had a nice pick in uh, the Bengals game, despite getting torched, um, you know, made, made some nice plays there, but, to me, it's just he he got away from himself technically. What we saw from him in like 2018, 2019 seemed like a much more technically sound player. And as a lot more, you know, the violence has always been there. But to me, he's relying on it a little bit too much now. Um, I, I think he needs to really hunker down and uh, get after it in terms of being technical. Agreed. I think uh, just consistency overall out of him is really what I want to see. So, uh, you know, that's, that's going to so be the crucial. original question is, does the, does the cap situation affect rebuild strategy for next year? So as we have it, the Ravens sit with $11 million in cap space in 2022, none, basically, um, very, very, very little. The Earl Jacks or Earl Thomas situation is, is pretty much done with, it feels like, and they still don't have that money, um, in terms of what they can do cut wise. So 11, you know, Marcus Peters, they could cut for four and a half million. So basically is Marcus Peters worth four and a half million to the Ravens next year? Yes. Can he maybe take a little bit less money? Sure. 
Um, you know, can you extend him? Sure. To me, four and a half million, no brainer. You keep Marcus Peters. Tavon Young, you can save two million. Tough. I mean, to me, that's a coin flip. I love Tavon. They, they you know, it feels like the Ravens uh, mean so much to him. He means so much to them. Uh, sticking with him was incredible. Awesome story this year. Him being able to stay pretty healthy all year after the injuries he suffered. Is he gonna? Are we gonna get that again? I don't know. Uh, if I you put a gun to my head, I'm, I'm gonna lean no. Villanueva, you can save two point seven five. Done, gone, easy. Other than that, man, I mean, nothing. Nothing. Can't get rid of Derek Wolf. Uh, the only other one that that jumps out is Miles Boykin. You can save two million. So let's see if the Ravens cut Villanueva. That's an extra two point seven five. You're up around fourteen. You cut. Tavon Young, you're up around 16. You cut Boykin, you're up around 18 million. That's not a lot. Um, not a lot. And I think some of that is needed for, for liabilities for rookies and futures and practice squad and all that stuff. So the true number is not very high. Moves they can make restructure-wise. Marlon Humphrey, you can push 7 million if you want. Nick Boyle, you can push 1.9 million. Zeitler, you can push 2.4 million. Tucker, you can push, you know, those those are the avenues to create enough space to, you know, fill out as much as you need ahead of the draft to draft freely. And then extension-wise, I mean, pretty much anybody, they can extend and, and get a good bit of money there. So um, Lamar, 17 million. Stanley, 6 million, not going to happen. Peter, 7 million, potentially happens. Um, Tavon Young, they could extend, save, they can save more money by, extending Tavon Young than by cutting him um, right now, which may, maybe that's the move that we end up seeing. Other than that, Chuck Clark, 1.3. Gus Edwards, 1.7. I don't know if those are likely. Uh, ben Powers, 1.2. So they're up against it. They do have 10 picks. This is kind of the draft. I, I'm going to put a lot into this draft, man. This this is the draft that might define whether the Ravens are a Super Bowl caliber team in the next five years. Um, they have to hit this one. They have to nail this draft. Expecting to get five starters out of a draft, again, is hoping for magic and getting angry if it doesn't happen. But you need an impact player, one or two starters, and and two role players out of this draft. Uh, I think that would be absolutely nailing it. That's like an A-minus grade to me. And they need it bad. Otherwise, I think they are in a bad situation, especially if Ronnie Stanley can't come back. Yeah, like Stanley's... Stanley is the key man. I like he is such such a key player, a literal franchise cornerstone, probably the most important outside of your quarterback right now. I mean, even more than just his money situation, him coming back and playing at like even 90% of the level that he's been able to play at is so crucial to their future and they they fucking they need an answer before the draft on what's going to happen with him moving forward and maybe that that maybe that's not a possibility. But like it, you can't be ambiguous about it. You got to like talk straight with him and like his representation because they went into this year, you know, with the idea that he's just going to slot back in there. And then, you know, there's there's misgivings and it's like, uh, you know, it's not good enough and it gets checked out and it's certainly not good enough. And he needs surgery again. Like you can't you can't have that again. You can't have Alejandro Villanueva. I think that makes three surgeries in yeah. a year. It's nuts. Like you can't have that. And like you can't have that for him and for his health. So he's got to make a decision for himself, his health, and his future as to whether he wants to keep doing this, and they have to make a decision about their own future, about uh, whether he can be relied upon uh, with his health. So it's that—that that is the key situation, 
and there is no easy answer to it, and there is no timeline that we can just sit down and say, okay, it's going to be solved here. It could be, this could linger into next season, and it could fuck them over in the same way that it did this year. So, and it's not his fault. I'm not saying that, but like, it's just. We wish the best for him. Great dude, great community leader, great player. The worst luck of any, in Ravens history, the worst luck of any timing, uh, contract-wise, Five. I mean, this is all-time yeah. bad beat for him, for the Ravens. A couple days. What, four, three I days? I mean, pretty honestly, signing? pretty good beat for him if you think about it. It's uh, tough for them. Yeah. Um, you know, it was not, not a good Ronnie beat, but the way that it worked paid. out, it's, it's good the Raven, that he got paid. For the Ravens, you know, it's, it's no fault of Ronnie's. Again, we wish the best for him. But holy shit, man, three days. You have, a, you have the best left tackle in football three days later. You're without him for you know, potentially maybe forever, at, at least it's at least a season and a half. I mean, last year, honestly, they could have beaten the bills if they had him. I think, um, I, I think that game could have gone differently. Pressure was an issue. They might've gotten a better seed if they had him, you know, they, they might've won two more games in the regular season. They might've been playing in Baltimore instead of Buffalo. Who knows um, what could have gone differently, but that is the defining. They are at the mercy of that situation. And I think that this is a Super Bowl-capable team if Ronnie Stanley can get healthy. And I think that they're going to be really, really struggling to, to reach that true, balanced, on both sides of the ball, contending, deep, talented level to get to where they need to go. Um, so it, they're really at the mercy of that ankle. Yeah. So with that, that being is, uh... said, uh, we can move into the final question here. little revisionist history. Giggle hard. Do you ever look back at 2019 and think, damn, we should have went all the way there? It's hard not to. It's hard not to have that thought with that one seed. You get that automatic buy. You're automatically that much closer. The fact that they didn't even get to a championship game is really tough pill to, a tough pill to swallow. Um, absolutely. But they just were completely unbalanced offensively. Um, they... I don't know what to say. You know, the best team doesn't always win. The Broncos, the year the Ravens won the Super Bowl, that 2011-2012-2013 or that 2012-2013 Broncos team, that was the best team in the NFL. And I think that's why a lot of the math guys, um, refraining, refraining from the A word, but a lot of the math guys say, oh, well, the Rams traded for Von Miller and they're, you know, making such drastic sacrifices to try to be the best team. But the best team doesn't always win. The, you know, the hottest team does. The luckiest team does. The healthiest team does. So they trade for Von Miller, you know, people are, you know, having discourse on, on what's the deal because the best team doesn't always win. Best team does not always win, not even close sometimes, uh, especially if it's not someone that involves the, the old Tom Brady. So that was the year in a way, but at the same time, they, 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 they had screwing foot Marquise Brown, second year Mark Andrews, Seth Roberts, and uh, Miles Boykin. And second year, that was second team. year Lamar Jackson, like <laughs> – uh, you know, I, and it's, yeah. I, Second like, playoff game, Lamar Jackson. Yeah, like that That probably, what I mean, that was their best chance in a long time, that's for sure. But, like, they, they didn't play football for two weeks, and then they stepped onto a football field versus the most physical or maybe one of the most physical teams in the league that year that was running hot and they just taking out the Patriots in their own house. So, like, and listen, I mean, like, if you they go got back ran and watch, all over. The Titans ran all over them but, straight up. But if you go back and watch that game, like, if they don't have some of those, and like this sounds like a shitty fan thing to say, but like if they don't have some of the unlucky breaks in that game, the John U. Smith touchdown, some of that shit, like the, the Ravens, cheek. the Ravens maybe win that game, you know, fourteen six, six at halftime. Yeah, the Ravens maybe win that game seven, you know, 
eight times out of 10, looking at that team and how good they were. I'm pretty confident in that saying. And I think that's something that Gordon and I have talked about a little bit too. Like, you know, and it's not, it's not to discredit the Titans or to like downplay like the Ravens going into that game unprepared because they certainly did. But like, you know, that's just, the, that's football, man. Like it's, it's one game. It's not a series. The, the ball is not round. It bounces in weird ways. And that's what happened for them that night. So it's that leather oblong thing. Fourth failed fourth downs, um, which were, you know, a key factor in them going 14 and two was the ability to convert fourth downs. And, uh, you know, that aggressive math that everybody fell in love with Daniel Stern, the, the Yale, the Yale dog, um, you know, it, it didn't break their way. And again, the best team doesn't always win. So was that the year? I, no, because they, they weren't balanced enough. They didn't have the receivers. They didn't have the horses that when the run game isn't going, when Mark Ingram's banged up, Mark Andrews is, you know, uh, banged up as well. They they didn't have the pass game to be able to, to convert um, and, and make hay in those situations. And defensively, you know, they had that interior defensive line of Williams and Pierce and Wormley, and they got ran through. You know, that wasn't supposed to happen. They weren't supposed to get ran through and they got punched in the face over and over and over and over again. Couldn't man up, get Derrick Henry on the ground, um, broke down in coverage on what, what did Tannehill throw? 14 passes in that game. They broke down in coverage three times. Um, that, that, that cover three run defense where they have the three deep and it's, you know, single high safety. They've really, really failed to execute there. And I think that started with, I think that that Khalif Raymond touchdown, We've seen, you know, the Michael Pittman touchdown against the Colts this year in a similar situation. Um, that that cover three man match, uh, I, I guess it's more of just straight cover three actually, has been awful for the Ravens. They need to be more wary of those situations and, uh, and and stay away from that because that has been an Achilles heel many, 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 many times. Um, that that run prowess, three-man high look, that cover three has, has really bit them in the ass. So 2019, I mean, sure, it's easy to look back and say, but no, man. Uh, no, they didn't do anything that year. They didn't. They didn't really do anything other than have a great regular season. Yeah, exactly. So, crying no, over twenty eleven. We also have Richter say, "What would you change about Ravens history?" Maybe that you know Billy Cundiff, Lee Evans game, but honestly, nothing. I wouldn't change anything about Ravens history. Neither would I. It's anything. been a very blessed experience as a fan. Um, but twenty eleven, yeah. If Evans catches that, I, I think they, I think they. I don't know if I'd say they smoked the Giants because the Giants had a, a team of destiny thing going on, but that that, that was a winnable Super Bowl. But they, you know, it that's was. part of the story of their 2012 Super Bowl, you know, so. Exactly, exactly. Before we get out of here, uh, I want to mention a good friend of mine, Sam Hennig. He's a master barber in Baltimore. Um, we, we might have a sponsorship on the way, but this is, this is a hashtag free ad for him. Came out with something that I use today for the first time that he's had in the works for two years. It is a shaving lotion, shaving moisturizer called Smooth as um, you can see the label here if you're watching on YouTube. Great labeling, great packaging. 15 bucks. Uh, two alternatives. One has CBD in it to soothe and hydrate your skin. Another one does not. If you're not into CBD and that's not for you, um, you can find it at smoothasfshaving.com. Uh, smoothafshaving.com. Again, so that's, that's smooth as fuck. Uh, it's outstanding. My skin was very dry. Winter, put it on. My God, dude, this stuff is incredible. Also, you know, for women... Share it with your with your loved ones or, or any female listeners out there uh, to shave your legs with. It has CBD in it. It's perfect for it. it. It's a lotion. It's not a cream. So it's hydrating, prevents razor burn. We'll get Jakey some. We might have an official sponsorship on the way, but just wanted to shout him out. He's my 
my good longtime friend and cut my hair for a long time as well. Um, got the CBD in it, 15 bucks a pop, giant jug. I mean, this is going to last me a year. See if this you can is, hook something up because I need something for the beard. I ran out of Cremo recently. It, it, so it's beard oil, uh, conditioner, lotion. It hydrates, it washes, it does all of that stuff for your beard. And it is great to shave with as well. So I'll, I'll get you a bottle of it too. I think we'll have an official sponsorship on the way. This is his first batch of it. He's had it in the works for two years. A master barber located out of Baltimore. So it's local. Um, you're supporting, you know, an up-and-coming entrepreneur. Uh, pre-shave cream, shaving cream, aftershave lotion, facial skin moisturizer, beard and hair conditioner. This stuff just makes everything smooth as fuck. Great labeling, great name, great gift to give someone. It's funny. Uh, you know, the, the labeling's great. The, the, the brand obviously is great. So check it out. I'm going to, I'm going to give a little, little pump right now. I get a little pump in my beard. It says I do a half a pump for, uh, for beard conditioning. Give a little live rub in here. A live rub in. Who would have thought that yeah. was coming tonight? Robert Kraft, eat your heart out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that, that wasn't technically live. That was, uh, taped and the tape <laughs> never got out. Thankfully for <laughs> everyone. Shout out to that. And the lost as Bryant tapes. Um, <laughs> yeah. so shout out to Shefty. Shout out to Shefty. Shout out to JPP's hand. Uh, RIP to that finger. Screw you, Shefty, for what you did to JPP. Love you, Shefty, but that was mean. Yeah. All right. Well, Man, that was that uh, was a hour bit... forty-five. We uh, we had a long one. Boys didn't record on Tuesday, so I think me and you needed to hang out a little bit. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. Yeah, we did. It was uh, good to uh, take a, just a little brief hiatus. We do that every once in a while, and I think it was uh, fitting with the fact that uh, there was no Ravens-related stuff going on. Um, so, yeah, it was good to hop in here and uh, riff with you for almost two hours here, and uh, I liked your your amb- literal ambush marketing there at the end. I was not expecting that, but if you can if you can lock down a deal there, that's I'm all the way in on it. So, Absolutely. Again, smooth afshaving.com they have a cbd one lavender and uh i'm not sure of the other flavor but uh got some two options there more on the way and it's 15 bucks man does it all so ambush marketing ambush uh synth from can i get a synth for seinfeld synth just to get us out of here that's all i needed perfect well i can get us out of here then thank you everyone for listening to uh like we said a little bit of an extra long uh episode here but uh it was definitely worth it get in here talk some draft talk some free agency talk everything it was uh, it was great so thanks for everyone who submitted uh user questions for the mailbag it's always good to open the mailbag up uh we're doing it uh, a little fewer and further between which i think is really good it kind of lets it air out a little bit and uh this was certainly a good one so thanks for all your help and involvement in that you the great listeners uh and with that going to go ahead and get us out of here uh feel free to follow us on social media if you liked what you heard uh, you can find the show at podcast beatdown on twitter uh, i am at jake luke on twitter that's l-o-u-q-u-e spencer is at ravens for dummies that's the number four in the middle there check out baltimorebeatdown.com for all our great written content and all the all the great written content of the great writers that we have there josh dustin uh frank on the editing team voss everyone's uh, just all bangers all the time so all bangers uh, all the time. Shout out Kyle. Shout yeah, out Josh. Yep. Shout out Vaz. Shout out everybody. Every yeah. Go Joe. Go everybody. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, you have yourselves a great weekend, and we'll talk again soon. And like we said with the uh, the scheduling, who knows exactly when it's going to come out? It might be. It's going to be a little more fluid, but we're going to stick with two episodes a week. So once we get into March, we'll have uh, the the beatdown big board coming through. So we'll be really busting in that uh, that draft coverage, especially post free agency. So. Stay tuned for that. 
Uh, we'll get some guests up in here to talk Ravens offseason, to talk draft, senior bowl content on the way as well. So excited for all that stuff. Excited for you guys. Excited for us. Thank you for hanging out with us. And uh, we love you guys. We do. It's going to be busting. Busting. See ya. Arrivederci. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Super Bowl out of me. Need that. Need that.